Welcome back to the Bain Campaign. This is episode nine. I'm Max Bain. I'm your host. I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Chris McLean, Brian Smith. It's January 9th. It's week at, or it's week 18 of the NFL season. The Chicago Bears fans are finally out of their misery. The Lions finally beat the Packers at home. Uh, didn't mean anything, but it's all good. We finally beat Aaron Rodgers. But uh, anyway, guys, how are we doing? How's everything? Did you guys enjoy your Sunday? No. No, Max, you didn't. <laughs> you, you had to bring up the Bears. It's fourth and one. Give the ball to David Montgomery, Matt Nagy, you idiots. That's all right. Hopefully by the time – well, no, I don't think by the time this is out, Matt Nagy will, will be the former Bears head coach. He'll still be there. I don't even know. I don't even trust that the Bears are going to make the right decision. By, by the way, this is Chris, Chris McClain. You guys can find me on Twitter, at TurnipAirChris. Um, this episode was, was awesome. By the way, we had Nick Lofton. And, and Mike Massey of the Kansas City Royals, two of their top prospects and two guys that Max got to face uh, this season. We'll get into that here in just a second. Um, Brian, how are you, man? You know, I'm not stressing about the Bears. I got, I got the Chicago Bulls in my town. So it, to me, it's only basketball season. We move past football. We ignore the baseball lockout and we just focus on, on your first place Chicago Bulls. I stopped watching the Bulls game at halftime to come up here and, and get all set up to record this. So, um, yeah, my son's downstairs. He's watching the Bulls. They were up one at the half against Dallas. So let's hope by the time this one comes out that the Bulls are one more game up in the win column. You know, you know it was Clay, funny. Tom, Clay Thompson is back tonight after after yeah. tearing an ACL and tearing an Achilles, you know, going to a different team there. But um Really cool night for sports to have him back. That's that's an awesome story. I think it's been something. It's been like seven hundred, or not? Maybe not seven hundred. Maybe it's four hundred plus. Four hundred plus days since he's played in the NBA. Something yeah, like that. But anyway, yeah. um, I was watching. You know, we talked about the Bulls. I was watching ESPN the other day, and they were talking about real contenders in the East. And out of five hosts on the show, I think one person said we got to give the Bulls the respect, and then chose the. Uh, continue on talking about two other contenders and the Nets and the Bucks, but it's all all these other teams and everybody's ignoring that the Bulls are in first place. And I'm like, man, they're playing playing good basketball, man. Everybody doesn't want to pick them just because they don't have that one guy. But DeRozan and Levine are they are those like two guys. They've been playing like it at least. Chris, you I came think, down to Chicago to see them, right? I did. I did. I think it's fair to not give the Bulls love in terms of being like a contender i mean they're certainly a contender because they're leading the conference right now but i think it's fair to say they're they're not the favorite in the east um i think we all know we've all watched enough nba basketball to know that there's a difference between the regular season and the playoffs my big fear with the bulls is how do they stop Giannis? how do they stop Embiid? Uh, they struggled with cleveland and their their size i mean the bulls are a small team and it'll be interesting to see how teams attack DeRozan and I mean we're getting like this is like an NBA podcast now but it'll be interesting <laughs> to see how teams attack DeRozan and Vooch in the playoffs those those guys aren't a plus defenders so a lot more isolation uh a, the, the the roster gets trimmed big time in terms of the, the amount of minutes guys get pl- you know play so I don't know we'll see we'll see I I'm, I'm gonna I'll tell you what I'm gonna enjoy the hell out of this Bulls team right now and take everything out of it because they've been absolutely trash for for quite a while so 
The team's a lot of fun. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll segue into my, the things I'm thankful for, because Brian, your, your question was, uh, did I go down to Chicago? Yes, I was down in Chicago, took my family to a Bulls game, had an absolute blast. They played Atlanta, got to see Trey Young play. Uh, Vooch was, I believe, four points away from a 2020 night. He had 21, 21 rebounds and 16 points. And when uh, they were up like 20 or 25 points late and um, they took, they took him out of the game and there were, you could hear the murmur of fans that were a little bit bummed that he didn't get to try to get the extra four points to get the 2029, but it was a great time. But the thing I'm thankful for in terms of baseball is where I stayed and that's hotel Zachary. So I'm going to give a free plug. They're not paying me to stay. They (laughs) certainly didn't pay me to stay there. My credit card statement proves that, but we, my family, we stayed at the Hotel Zachary up on the fifth floor overlooking Gallagher Way. And it looked beautiful because it's, it was all done up with, uh, with Christmas theme. I think the Chris yep. Kindle or whatever it's called. Uh, Max, you were down there. You saw it. It's amazing. It, but it, it was fantastic to, to walk into the hotel. You open the door and you can see, I mean, literally you can see the infield. You can see into the first base dugout. You can see the brown you know, dormant Ivy on the wall. It was, it was a beautiful sight. And then at night with all the lights, it was great. Max, you were down there as well. What did you think of the, the whole scene? It was cool. It was, uh, it was neat. Uh, you know, that was the first time uh, I had brought my girlfriend with me as, as many of you guys saw on Twitter, probably. She's actually really confused because I got damn near a thousand likes for, for just being at Wrigley Field. Um, which, <laughs> which was cool. It was kind of first time feeling the Chicago love, or I shouldn't say first time. It was kind of the first notable time. Um, they're always there, though. Um, but, yeah, I got to show Wrigleyville a little bit. We ate over at uh, Big Star, good quality lunch. Uh, went over, saw the um, that winter festival thing that they had put together. Uh, I tried to pull the Cubs card with several of the ballpark staff uh, and seeing if I could get in. It did not work. Uh, none of them bought that I was actually with the organization, so that's cool. Um but, you know, as part of as part of the trip, you know, we walked around Wrigley Field uh, right towards. So they were doing something with like some construction right field and right towards that, uh, probably where they keep like the turtle and whatnot. Um, there was like a little gap and you can kind of see in just like you were talking about from Hotel Zachary, maybe not as uh, maybe not as scenic, but um, you kind of see in you can see like the brown grass. You can see right in the third base dugout up the up the third base stands, cool, something cool like that. So uh, we were getting on the subway. We were headed home. We were about uh, three we were about three stops in and Joe Johnson over at obvious shirts, shout out to the sponsor of the podcast. He, uh, he responded, he said, come say hi. And I shot him a text real quick. I was like, Hey man, really sorry. We just got on. We're three stops in. Uh, like I should, I didn't even think twice. Like I, it completely slipped my mind. Um, but you know, after being really nice to Madison, she was willing to, uh, she was, <laughs> she was willing to turn around, go back. And we went up and got to say hi to Joe for, for, uh, about an hour and a half. And, uh, Man, I just I can't speak highly enough about that guy. You know, everything he's done, uh, you know, the ad read last week was about the uh, Jeff Dickerson line and everything he's doing for uh, Parker and that family and and whatnot just through their tough times is uh, really speaks to who Joe is as a person. And um, just, you know, really thankful I got to stop in and finally finally meet our guy, man. It was really fun. So true Chicago and Joe. Yeah, true Chicago. We had an excellent time up there. So, um, 
but I like to but, imagine yeah. you with the with one of the security guards like trying to pull up the video of all the guys who hit home runs off you with the <laughs> South Bank Cubs. And then and then who would we see to bring it back to today's episode? We would see Nick Lofton, right? One of our guests today, who who what? Did he get you once or twice? Twice. He got me twice. I'm pretty positive he went three for five off me this year, although that seems that seems so that seems light just because I think I faced them three times, but um, let's see. Oh yeah. What was I, you your know, thinking I, Max in, in wanting to put Nick and Mike Massey, his, his uh, keystone teammate this year on the same episode? Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, one of the things, you know, you brought up that Homer montage and uh, one of the things I said in that tweet was that when, when I started this personal brand, I didn't want it to be all about the good. You know, I wanted to highlight some of the, some of the bad things that happened too, because that's, you know, that's what makes us human. And it's all part of the game that we play and the careers that we have. Um, but in getting to know, you know, I was thankful for Bryce Wyndham, uh, guest of the pod episode two. Um, he went, you know, last week in quad cities, he had actually gotten us together for a meal. He planned that while, uh, while he was on second base after a double he hit. So uh, Bryce kind of got us all together. We went out, we had breakfast the following day and just getting to know those guys. They're like super good dudes. And I just, you know, I feel like they, they have cool stories. You know, Mike played in the big 10. Uh, Lofton was a first round pick and went to big league camp. And um, I mean, you guys are going to see in this interview. They're two of the nicest, most thoughtful dudes that we've had uh, that we've had the pleasure of talking to. And uh, I, I'm grateful that we did it, man. I'm grateful. I'm grateful that we had them on. I'm sad, Brian, that you missed the interview though. Yeah, I should address the elephant in the room. So people who listen to the rest of this episode are not going to hear me beyond the introduction. I I had uh, something planned before we before we were able to schedule Nick and Mike. Um, so Chris, can you can you give me maybe a, a takeaway here that uh, that jumped out to you when you talked to them? Yeah, I think both guys uh, fantastic human beings. I really enjoyed both guys. I thought the passion that these two guys had for for each I don't want to say for each other but really for their team they talked a lot about team chemistry they talked about leadership and you know they talked about preparation these are very very mature guys who have mm -hmm. very big goals and um one of the things I told you guys before we started recording this today is you know Massey's talking and just extremely in-depth and really just there were no cliches right it was very thoughtful very in-depth and um introspective all the adjectives i can throw out there about about the way he, he spoke but i can really see this guy sitting you know a couple years in a in a press conference talking to you know both local and national reporters being a very thoughtful guy and, and someone that that baseball writers will really enjoy and i think fans will really like and sort of glom onto in terms of a fan favorite so i think these guys are great it's a fantastic interview. Um, we had, we've been blessed with a lot of just all of our guests have been great. These guys um, also, I mean, there was no, no shortage of greatness in terms of their, their ability to, to speak. They were fantastic. I enjoyed the hell out of these guys. I'm just happy they're in the American league. <laughs> right. Yeah. You and I both, Brian, um, you know, actually, Chris, you brought up something and I kind of want to address it just because there's not much baseball to talk about right now with the lockout and everything, but you talked about how Massey is going to end up sitting out with national reporters. And uh, one of the things that we just saw recently 
uh, happened with the national reporter, Ken Rosenthal, and the stuff that happened with him at MLB Network. Um, and I guess I want to offer a different perspective because I think, uh, and I talked about this in an interview with Mason Hall recently over at the Loaded Basis podcast, um, people like what you see on social media was not near the full story, right? Everybody saw that Ken Rosenthal got fired because he was uh, accusatory. Is that the right word? He was well, accusatory. He was accusatory of Rob Manfred. And yeah. what got left out was that he was completing his 12th year at MLB Network and he was already at the end of his contract. So the, those two things together, like especially Cubs fans know this, right? Like 12 years is a long time to be with somebody or be with a certain company. Um, you know, and I guess when I say Cubs fans have seen this, we, we watched Theo Epstein leave after nine years, citing like a new, healthy, uh, personal business adventure. And uh, I just want like, I guess I just want to offer a different perspective because I don't think that the full story and not that I not that I'm choosing MLB Network or the commissioner side, because I think there's a side there's perspective from both sides. Um, but I do think that there was more to the story than just he just got fired because he said he talked shit about Rob Manfred. Well, I think even maybe a better comp than Theo is Joe Madden, who also yeah. had his contract run out and then ultimately left. And I think Cubs fans know that, you know, there were there was a lot on both sides there that we, we know that story a little more intimately. And so we can appreciate it. So so I do understand what you're saying. You know, my heart of hearts is just always going to lead me against Rob Manfred at every oh. turn. So, you yeah. know, you're your perspective is appreciated there, but yes, I, I agree with you. You know, I don't even think it's necessarily true to say he was fired. Right. He just was right. not renewed. Yes. Yep. 100%. I think Rob Manfred is a lot like a lot of men with fragile egos that um, maybe, maybe, yeah, I, again, I'm not to Brian's point. I don't like Rob Manfred. I think he's, I just, Rob Manfred is, is, is like, we're down this rabbit hole, so I'm going to take us there. Rob Manfred is in that job because the owners know he's going to be a pit bull and trying to get them more when it comes to negotiating. And that's all he cares about, money. It's about how do I make the owners more money? That's his sole job. And, I mean, I understand that. At the same time, it just it sucks. It sucks that a guy who has such a huge position of power in over Major League Baseball uh, truly I don't think has – I don't know, the best for the game at heart. And, you know, there's so many changes that are being made and I don't think they're positive. And I can't, I don't see where this is going. I don't see it being all that positive. I'm nervous about where we are in terms of the fact that it's January. 9th. I don't know what day it is. Yeah, January 9th. You just said that a couple of minutes ago. It's January 9th. <laughs> and I don't think they've had any sort of substantive discussions. Nope. And you know, we're, we're, we're talking offline about getting together in March to come, you know, and spring training. And um, maybe you guys are there, but I don't know if there's going to be Major League Baseball spring training games to go watch. Yeah, March. I think you have to watch. You have to see how it develops, right? Because timelines force or deadlines force activity, right? And we saw that with the free agency period. Yeah, um, but what's the deadline, though? Late March, probably, I mean, probably March 1st would be my when guess. Re I when think, revenue starts, probably when spring, yeah. you know, spring training games, I guess. Um, but I guess, Chris, you kind of lead me into what I'm thankful for. And I'm thankful that I guess right now I'm glad that we're not part of the union. Minor leaguers are not part of the union. And because if we were, we wouldn't get like we would be our seasons would be at risk, too. And after losing 2020, uh, I don't know that that's something that we could 
endure, especially financially. Um, so I guess I'm thankful that we're not part of the union just because it's a guarantee. I shouldn't even say a guarantee with the way the world is right now, but it's closer to a guarantee that we're going to get a season this year than it is for, for those part of the union. Absolutely. Yeah. I was, I, I think the thing that I was highlighting to be thankful for was something about college baseball, which was, you know, I went to the university of Iowa I have not taken my kids there to see it yet. And so I've been looking for an excuse to do it. And I looked up the Iowa baseball schedule and Texas tech is coming into town, which means potential number one pick Jace young is going to come into Iowa city. So, you know, I'm going to take, I'm going to take my family for the first time this year. And so I'm sort of thankful for the way that baseball sort of allows you to build vacations and use that as an excuse, because my family at least has been doing that since I was a kid and, and, and we've done that with our own kids and, and with boys trips and stuff. So it's, uh, it's one of the, one of the great parts about a game that lasts seven months. Yeah, man, I, I, I couldn't agree more. That's awesome. You know, Iowa's uh, actually, you know, Iowa has been one of the more, they might not show it in terms of like consistent on-field performance. And that's just strictly going off the record, but they're actually one of the more data inclined teams in college baseball. They're sending guys like left and right into pro ball. I know I just saw a guy from there who took a job with the giants, I believe might've been the Dodgers too, but um, yeah, man, that'll be, that'll be a fun series for you to watch, especially Texas tech is going to have Jace young, but they're going to be loaded with, I mean, they're always loaded with draft guys. So that'll be fun. Yep. For sure. So, all right. Well, I think, I think that's going to do it for the intro. You guys ready to get over to get over to Nick and Mike? Yeah. Thanks for lifting it this week, boys. Oh, never mind. I was going to say, we didn't get to the thing you're thankful for, Brian, but we literally just talked about it. You started talking about Iowa baseball and I got all excited about Rob Newstrom. Yeah. You should lock back in Chris. (laughs) There were two things that had me distracted. One, I was looking up Rob Newstrom to confirm that he played at Iowa, which he did. And he's, he's a guy that on my, my old podcast venture, I, I had him on that show, but I was also watching the bulls game. And over the time that we were talking, um, it looks like they might be taking an L tonight, but that's, that's all right. You're watching, you're watching a bulls game when we're lobbying for this podcast to get picked up. You're watching a bulls game on air while we're <laughs> lobbying for this podcast, to get picked up by a larger network. That's nothing I mean, says pick me like that. <laughs> we were talking about the bulls earlier and actually that reminded me hey i should pull it back up to see what's going on you know i've spent all this money on the nba league pass i yeah. feel like i need to justify the the money you know but yeah maybe it's time we bring maybe it's time that we we send brian off to his his assignment he's got he's got he's got to go work on assignment he's going to go out and find some more guests for us that's what he's got to get on a plane and negotiate <laughs> see what we can find scout some talent for us Charge it to the expense account. Exactly. It's extensive, too. It's extensive. Pretty extensive expense account. Private jets gassed up, ready to go. And pilots waving them in. <laughs> and uh, we've got Nick and, and Mike. They're, uh, they're, they're leaving the cage right now, and they're, they're ready to rock and roll. So, All right. Let's do it. Time we, we do it. Welcome back. We are joined today. We are joined with two distinguished guests, two champions, the High A Central Quad Cities River Bandits, middle infield and top 
Kansas City Royals prospects. We've got shortstop Nick Lofton and second baseman Mike Massey. Guys, what's going on? How are we doing, Chris? What's going on, Chris? Mike? Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're excited. I've got to ask, first question. So I feel like a lot of what we do is we, we bring Cubs guys on, right? Because those, those are Max's teammates. Uh, we've had a couple non-Cubs guys on, but uh, it's pretty easy why we have the Cubs guys on. They know Max, right? They work with Max. But how, how did you guys get to meet Max? Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm honestly trying to remember. I, I think it was – oh, you know, I got to – actually, no, I remember it now. I remember. It was um... – so we actually opened up in South Bend, Quad Cities versus South Bend, the first week of the season. And I remember the first, like, interaction I had with Max was he struck me out twice the day before, like the second game of the season, just wipeout slider, had no chance. And I think he might have been the bat boy the next day. Yes. Uh, yes, I was. With, the, with yeah. the COVID stuff, there was no bat boy. So I just remember walking up and maybe I think – Wage our manager was arguing a call or some of that so me and max were just kind of standing there and i'm like i, I think i just said something like hey man take it easy on the sliders next time <laughs> and then later down the road the next time we faced him i i instagram dm'd him and i was like hey man like i see you're throwing against so us like i'm gonna request my off day on uh on sunday and then um i ended up, i got him once he got me once that day and then Long story oh, you short, got me. Time you got in. me. That's very humble well, of you. And then you got me in the next at bat. It works, <laughs> works like it works both so, ways. Well, when you said you got him, how did you get him? I ambushed. I ambushed it. an OO fastball in the first inning. Nice. Uh, and I snuck one over. Yeah, I snuck one over the right field wall. Wind was blowing out. Good day to hit. Day game. Oh, come on. Um, Mike's like, Mike's like, Hey, I'm on Max's podcast. I'm going to do my best to put Max over. No, dude, you absolutely crushed one. <laughs> well, yeah, but then I don't want him to talk about the next at bat because the next at bat might've been three pitches and I was back on the pine. So um, am I counting this right? We've got three strikeouts and a bomb. Yeah. Uh, but, there's got to be more in there. Uh, there's definitely more at bats. None of yeah. them, none of them memorable. Probably more strikeouts for me. They're probably. More I feel. Memorable. I feel like there might have been. I off the top of my head, I feel like there might have been like a uh, four three that you hit about one hundred and five. And I feel like I remember walking up the mound going like, "Oh well, thank God that that." <laughs> but, hey, that's why you don't hit the ball on the ground, you know. So you got no, we got. Shots. That's good. We yeah. got like two of the best hitters in the high A on this podcast right now. These guys spent all year uh, in in uh, Quad Cities, Illinois, Davenport, or Quad Cities, Iowa, uh, Davenport, and. I just remember every time that we saw these dudes, it was like, all right, well, Mike has still got a uh, 900 OPS. Nick is still, you know, hitting the shit out of the ball. Uh, why are they like it? Our trips were our series against each other were very spaced out. So it was like, why are these dudes still here? And it was just a pain <laughs> in the ass every time that, you know, these guys are in the lineup. So um, Lofton, especially on my first start. But go ahead. You can tell you can tell the world how uh, you met me. I've told that before. So I want to hear your side of it. Well, yeah, Nick, let's hear it, man. <laughs> I didn't officially get to meet Max until the second. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, I think you might be covering your mic. Your mic? There yeah. we go. Hello, Come check. On. check, 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 one. <laughs> there we go, there we go, there we go. Yeah, 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 we're good, we're good, we're good. I just uh, want to make sure, I, yeah. I, the first time I actually got to, to meet Max was, I believe it was the second time when we went to breakfast. It was me, you, uh, Mike, and... Um, 
Uh, Bryce. Yeah. yeah. Bryce. So that was kind of the first time I ever had like the encounter with you. Yeah. Um, but the actual very first encounter I had with you, was <laughs> professional game, very first professional at that. Um, my, I mean, honestly, I that was honestly a big blur to me because there was no way in my my life that I ever expected that to happen ever in my career in baseball, especially because I'm not a big power hitting guy. But I mean, I remember couple pitches go and i think who was behind play it was like bobby behind home plate or something like that it was something uh, yeah it, it, we went through so many umpires but like there was some questionable calls and i was i kind of argued a few of them and i was like ah the borderline calls whatever and then i think it was o2 actually and you try to squeak a fastball up and in and uh-huh. i somehow managed to squeak one over and minus 30 degree weather at least it felt like that, yes. weather. It, it definitely wasn't it definitely wasn't bobby if it was pitcher friendly calls um <laughs> but uh i will say that was the the other component i was going to bring into it was the weather and that was your first professional game and my my first professional game as well um and i remember going to like our r&d liaison uh george before and i was like look this lofton kid hasn't played he's in big league camp though he's a first round pick um, like why hasn't he played? And then we went through your report and like looked at the stuff from Baylor and whatnot. And it was just like, okay, his hot zone's very clearly up and in. So like, let's not do that. And then, uh, then yeah, sure enough, you're in the lineup game three. Uh, and then O2 count. I'm like, you know, I got this. Like he hadn't seen my 97 before, so I'm going to give it to him right there. And then you hit it. <laughs> well, I actually, I remember the whole week, Nick was talking about like he was he we had the list of the starters when we got to South Bend and he's like ah like don't want to face this guy don't want to face this guy and then on game three in the clubhouse he actually circled it and he said Bane Bane that's the guy I want to start oh, with point. yeah I made so, sure, yeah. I made sure to put me in the lineup I wasn't even supposed to play that day I was oh, the whole week that's but he read the report he read the report and he goes ninety seven wipeout slider batting practice that's, to fast. that's exactly what yeah. No, he saw he saw undrafted free agent. Oh, shit. I'm a first round pick. I got this. Yeah. Get, get me in there. Get me in there. Sure. Give me one. No, that's not. That's not. That was all fun, man. That's, that's oh, Nick, fun. You were saying it. Hey, you were saying I remember it. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Is that what I was saying? <laughs> I don't know. That, I don't know that we officially have said that pitch that you hit. Where did it land? Uh, Like it barely squeaked over left wall. Like I. I'm gonna be honest, Max. I pimped it a little bit. A little bit, yeah. I did go back and watch the footage. It's okay. It's your first professional I, home run. Pimping a, a, pimping a home run? I've never heard of that. I only I, held a grudge for like two months. It's fine. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> that's like we played you guys the first week of the season and didn't play all till like July or yeah. Like, and then in July, Nick Nick hit a walk off home run and threw his bat in front of the Cubs dugout. Well, you're for. I mean, you're leaving out that he completed the cycle with it. Yeah, he did. I mean, but he, I mean, he, that bat toss landed right in front of the dugout. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> dude, guys, I blame. I've never done that before. So what? Okay, so what happens when when a guy does that? Like Max, what happened? I mean, I don't know. If, did you guys talk about that? Are you guys pissed about it? Like, well, is Nick it was kind of one the next time he faces you, or what? No, 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 no. It's kind of it's kind of like, uh, can you believe that energy? Because like it's that game especially. It was a Sunday shootout, a day oh, game. Man. Ball was ball was taking off that day. And uh, 
I think the final score was like 13 to 11. 14 to 12, I think. We're all just yeah, happy okay. to leave, I think. Yeah. yeah, we had the five-hour ride back. when None of us yeah. were looking forward to that. But, oh, God. oh my God. I just, I, I think it's, Nick, did you tell did you tell Mike that I that story that you put up with the bat encased and oh, everything? Dude. Yeah, no, I didn't tell him that. No, but you remember my? Did you see any of my posts on Instagram? I saw your yeah. I saw the, the <laughs> shadow box. Yeah, Max sends me a message. He's like, dude, I just screenshotted this and sent it to the picture you did this to. <laughs> I was like, That's so jacked up. I I sent it to him and I just said people don't forget. (laughs) What was the reaction, Max? I actually wasn't good. (laughs) Really want to know what the reaction was. He said he said something like, Oh damn, why you gotta do that to me? And I was like, Yeah, people don't forget. Not gonna let you forget either. Yeah. I can't tell if it's worse or if it's better. Like coming from Nick, like with the with the bat toss, I feel like everyone like if it happened to me, if I was a pitcher and someone like Nick, like, pimped one off of me, like, you can't be mad at him. Like, it's Nick. Like, he's, he's such a good to, dude. And so, like, to get you're to know the dugout, and you're like, all right, like, yeah. he's just doing it because he's amped. Like, he doesn't actually, like. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I didn't know that's an unwritten rule. You don't toss a bat to their dugout. I've we were all sitting in the dugout. And we're like, no way. <laughs> so, that's I haven't so seen the funny. video. Describe it to us. So, you hit the ball. And then are you like, just like throw it underhand, throw it up? Are you like Uh, in the follow through you flip? Like, how does it walk us through this bat flip? Well, uh, I hit it and I started, like I watched it. Oh, no, you didn't move. Okay. (laughs) If you know, I don't know. I blanked out. All right. All right, Mike, tell the story. He, he, he hit it. Didn't move for about three seconds. Um, Mm. started slowly walking grabbed the bat by the barrel and like rolled <laughs> almost like a finger roll like in the air in front and it landed like halfway in between their dugout like on the fence and then somewhere around the first base coach's box started started a, 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 okay. You're a slow job way out of proportion uh, <laughs> that's like know. saying i walked to first base and then started running. sounds like well, it chris this again this is at the end of a sunday shootout and i think that hit made him like five for seven or six for eight on the day so we're like this fucking guy again are you kidding me <laughs> yeah i think it was yeah definitely it, it, it finished the cycle and i think it was your fifth hit and i'm out of stats beyond that that's the only thing i researched no i'm just kidding but yeah, I think it was your fifth hit, hit for the cycle. So yeah, dude, pimp the shit out of that. Yeah, I will. Yeah, I wanted to. In my mind, I was like, oh, I gotta pimp this, but I didn't know whether to pimp it to my dugout or to their dugout. But it just made more sense to throw it to their dugouts. So. <laughs> more natural, of course. I don't know. <laughs> well, see, if you know Nick, if you know Nick, you're like, oh yeah, it's it's Nick, whatever. But if you don't know Nick, you're like, wow, this guy's a first round pick last year. He went to big league camp. And uh, yeah, he just he acts like he owns all of us. <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, this guy's a huge doucher. <laughs> yeah. No, that's kind of how I felt whenever I realized what. No, 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 no. Come on, that no, wasn't it. Because when I actually saw the video, I was like, did I really just bat flip it to their dugout? Like, and oh, then walk, I the, I forgot what the pitcher's name was. It uh, Whit Watney Whitney Whitney Whitney. Yeah. So he was walking off. And I was still like, he literally almost crossed the dirt 
before I started walking, like I literally walked right in front of him, and I was yeah, like, "This this goes back to remember I said you stood there for about three seconds." <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that makes that sense. timing kind of that yeah that comes together. Yeah, that uh, that doesn't make sense. Good. So if you ever uh, see, if you get to see him again, uh, which I think we actually might all see each other again in yeah AAA at some point, or hopefully not, Max. I hope you're in the big leagues by next year. You're selling that to me. Come on. Like, look at you two. Come on. Yeah, absolutely. That's the goal, man. Uh, But, dude, yeah, if you ever see him again, which I know you will, tell him. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell him you said what's up. Uh, (laughs) Just throwing gasoline on the fire. It's all you're doing. There's the pot. (laughs) There's the pot, man. Send him a link to this episode. Oh, Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. No, that was it was it was an unbelievable time. I mean, that day was like I said, I was pissed off that day because we would take the lead, then you guys would tie mm-hmm. the game, or then y'all would take the lead and we'd somehow tie it. We were like, we might as well we better end this game in the ninth inning and that's it. And we better not go play any extras. So I just remember I just remember because We've talked about it, Chris. We talked about it. I think in the first episode where we talked about how like how you act during brawls and stuff. It's like you mm-hmm. kind of have your teammates back no matter what. And it's like the first time we played them, we kind of got into it a little bit. And that, so you like you have this like like um, I guess preconceived notion of what guys are like on that team just because you like you almost got into a fight with them. Like who the hell are these guys? Even though Mike almost got his arm torn off. But, yeah, let's. We can't yeah, see this. Mike done. is showing us like. Kind of like the uh, I don't know. He got the arm. scar. He got the scar yeah, he got on the yeah. fo- like forearm, right by the elbow. What happened? So oh it was uh, it was probably the seventh, seventh inning, seventh or eighth inning. Uh, yeah, first game of the year. Was, uh, yeah, first game of the year. <laughs> it was a throwdown from our catcher on steel. I caught it. Uh, I won't. I won't say the dude's name. I won't give him bad pub. But um, he he. Slides it was, Bryce, it was like, Bryce Wyndham, wasn't it? No, <laughs> as much as I wish it was Bryce, it, it was not. Um, he's out by probably like 10 feet, kind of slides in, spikes high, and um, ends up like clipping me up on the forearm. So it cuts through my sleeve, my arm kind of is bleeding. I end up losing the ball. Um, and we just we kind of got into a skirmish. And like, honestly, again kind of that thing where you talk about like when you get to know guys like the more that i got to know this kid like i he didn't do it on purpose like he was just out he tried to make a move to be safe and emotions during a game just kind of get high and it's like like he wasn't trying to hurt me or break my wrist or do anything like that but um it just it kind of looked it didn't look the best yeah um, no to my teammates and to, to everyone else around so it was just one of those things and then i think like the next night out um you know, like we had a pitcher throw at him three times. Like he he missed him the first time, missed him the second time, got him the third time, which like at second base, I'm sitting there like, like I love that out of my teammate. I love that that guy had my back and was willing to throw at him no matter what. But then again, it's also like, um, like I'm not, I don't want him to get hurt. Like I'm not out there trying to hurt guys. Like we're all trying to get to the big leagues and, and uh you know it's first game of the year no one's looking to go on the dl right away so it was it was just a it was kind of a weird start to the year i don't know how you guys saw it but no i was just gonna say you talk about like getting to know dudes even the guy that uh threw at our guy 
is a good dude. Like I talked to him when you guys came back to us. Like he's a he's a good dude. I talked to him for probably 10, 15 minutes. And right. once you get to know people, it's like so like you guys. When we went to breakfast, well, I guess you before that, I didn't really get to talk to Nick much before that. But um, you know, when you really get to spend time with guys, you realize that a lot of a lot of guys within this game are really good people, and it just mm-hmm. takes a little bit of time to see that sometimes. So um, but yeah, man, it's it's, it's it's the joke of uh so you know your buddy goes out there for something stupid and you're like crap we got to go out there like he's an idiot but mm-hmm. he's our idiot so we got to go out there and defend him yes. and that's uh, that's why i said chris it's like your guy goes does something you have to have his back regardless yeah. so yeah that's and granted this is my second game in professional baseball and i'm freaking out because benches are cleared and <laughs> i have no idea what i'm doing out there so <laughs> that was, uh... had any of you guys ever experienced anything like that Mm-mm. no so is there like a conversation that happens not like in spring training or like is someone like hey there's etiquette to how you do a bench clearing brawl or do you guys just sort of like you all get out there and you just figure out figure it out as you go like are you looking for a dance partner just to hold on to and not do anything with just pretend because that's what i would do yeah I, i think it depends on how into it you are like if you're the victim or like the guy that's in it i think those Different two story. or three guys you always get two or three guys that are throwing haymakers mm-hmm. and i feel like the other uh the other like 25 guys it's just like all right match up with somebody grab them talk about where you're going to dinner that night like mm-hmm. there's actually a funny story that a kid named john rave who was on our team was telling us a story when he was in low a in lexington they did a uh, they had a bench clearing brawl and he was like talking to and like the umpire was like trying to separate the guys after. And he just he just grabbed a guy and was talking to him. And the guy, and the, their coach was like, "Hey, like break it up, break it." He was like, "We're talking about going to Applebee's after the game." Like, <laughs> so, like oh. so I again, I think there's always like those two or three guys that are that are going head to head, and then everyone else is just like, "All right, man." But you you guys actually had uh, Max. You guys had a. Yeah, more significant one, didn't you? Later in the year. Yeah, I was gonna say that that was kind of like our batting practice uh, for the game, uh, and then we got into a fight. We got we got into a pretty pretty big fight with Fort Wayne, but that one was a little bit more heated than us. But yeah, 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 yeah that we one about, was actually some haymakers. Yeah, no, 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 that one ended up on barstool. Um, oh, no, that, no, no, that happened. <laughs> we saw that. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Um, good good way to represent, but you know. Um, yeah, man, it happens, but like I said, you get to know these guys and shit, man, last series of the year, we're going out to breakfast together. So actually speaking of which we had, we had Bryce Windham on the second episode, I th- right, Chris, was he our first or second guest? Well, per last week, I forgot that we even had him on. So, oh yeah, probably not, or not the right guy to ask. So he was yeah, one of he, our first two guests. Fir- he was our first episode. Um, and he, we got the question, what is he talking to you guys about at second base? So I know that you guys middle infield, I know he spends a lot of time on second base because he hits the shit out of the ball. What's he talking to you guys about out there? Isn't that, isn't that where you guys made breakfast plans? Uh, it, might, it very well might have been. That actually was. I, I forgot yeah, I Bryce asked me that. He, he said, hey, man, you want to go to breakfast tomorrow? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, DM me, bro, on Instagram. That's right. I remember that. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of times it's kind of – it's kind of what we do is when guys go on second base, usually just shoot the shit, talk about how terrible pitchers are. and <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We don't do that. No. Uh, I like to butter them up. 
You gotta butter him up, but hey man, nice swing, great swing right there. Like, dude, yes, yes, we do do that. Hey man, that was freaking. Dude, really I love great. your swing. You could, yeah, you could, yeah. Just, you just get his head. <laughs> he doesn't know if you're screwing with him. You're like, man, is this guy just a really nice guy? Even My some of the guys that I like, like if it's late in the game, and uh, and I hope I hope the Royals never hear this, but um, if it's late in the game, I'll be, we got like a we got like a called pick play on, and I'm like, and I just think it's a stupid pick play. I'm like, hey man. You know, might be something on here. <laughs> I'm leaning in there. Which is just because it's like, I don't, I don't like, like I'm thinking as a base runner, it, I only do that if it's in a scenario where it's like eight to two in the eighth inning. And we like, for whatever reason, we just have some dumb pick play on. And it's like, all right, man, I'm thinking if I'm at second base, like I don't want to get hurt here if I'm a base runner in an eight to two game. Mm-hmm. Like I said before, like we all have goals. We're all trying to get to the big leagues. Like no one wants to, get caught going the wrong way in an eight to two game. Cause they're caught off guard on a pick play. like sure. three to two game. I'm not saying a word, but like you can tell as a player, you kind of have some feel like, all right, this is it's nine to one here. I don't want to see this guy pull right. a hamstring cause he makes a wrong move and he's trying to get back and now he's out for the year. Yeah. I but mean, some of that goes well, on at second base too. Yeah. Well, I mean, right. If he's, if he's back at second, by the time that that throws even made, you might even take away some intent from the pitcher, reduce risk of overthrow right. there. Like it basically, it ends up being kind of a smart play. And like you said, with a six or seven run lead, that's no need for it in the first place. But um, yeah, I also heard, I also heard Bryce talks. I also heard Bryce talks a bit behind the plate too. So, um, oh, oh boy, no, oh boy, this is no. a thing. <laughs> you know who talks a ton behind the plate? This is Joe's other catcher. Uh, Harrison. Harrison, yeah. Is that his name, Harrison? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude. That guy talks the entire time. (laughs) It's usually not even to me. It's to the umpire for the Uh the crappy calls that he makes. Or if, like, he's like, oh, yeah, that that one's there, Jen. Jen, you got to have that, Jen. Oh, Jen. He doesn't hear this, but. He's a, he's a good he's a good friend. I I loved him to death because he talked yeah. to me all the time. He's like, oh, great, you're up again, stuff like yeah. that. And like, he talked to me throughout the at the end bat. But that's the that's the one thing I remember from that is that <laughs> there'd be times where like it'd be crappy calls. I mean, you know, high umpires. I hope Bobby doesn't. Yeah. He was my favorite umpire for sure. Uh, I'm, I'm not surprised. Yeah, no. I, I, <laughs> out of all of them, that's that's definitely been my my favorite. But yeah, whenever it's like Jen behind the play, she's like, Jen, that's that's there. You gotta have that, Jen. And then she'd be like, No, it's not there. And I'm like, Jen, it's there. And it's like, <laughs> right when, well, like right when the pitcher's about to release the ball, and I'm like, I'm like, Harris, I really just would like peace and quiet while I'm trying to hit this 97 mile an hour fastball coming in or wipe out slider. Or, Freaking! Uh, who was that one pitcher, y'all starter, who had like a ninety-one mile an hour slider? Um, oh boy! What was it? Oh, um, it was um, Jensen. Jensen, yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. He, he would do it when Jensen was pitching too, and I'm like, oh gosh, dude. Yeah. Unbelievable. Max, did you know that he talked that much? I like I, I know catchers talk a little bit. I always figured it was to the hitter. I you oh. know I know Harry I know Harry pushes it with the umpires quite a bit, but. Um, yeah, I mean, that's cool if he's fighting for us back there. I that's have, neat. I have never been in my own head more. Like, there's never been a catcher that has domed me up as bad as Harrison Winston. Oh, yeah. And it was, <laughs> and again, it goes what we were talking about at second base. Like, you want to talk about getting buttered up at the plate? Like, that's I'll foul. The, there were times where I would, like, foul, like, a like a uh, 95 on our fastball corner. I just, like, two strikes, mm-hmm. I tipped away. 
and he's like, dude, you are so good. Like, that is an <laughs> unbelievable right. spoiler yeah. right there. Are you kidding me? And I'm like, like, is he screwing with me? Or does he, like, actually, like, and I'm just in my head. And then I, I want to say I was probably 0 for 10 in games that he caught. Because he would just, <laughs> yeah, he, would like, he would, like, look at the scoreboard. He'd be like, like dude, 22 doubles. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Come on, man. And I'm like, shut up. Like, I'm trying to hit. Like, well, it's hard because – yeah, it's hard. I'm sorry. I totally just cut you off, but it's hard oh, not to listen to him because, like, he is a guy that's in big league camp for the Angels this year, right? So he's caught Shohei Otani. He spent time around Mike Trout. He spent time around Albert Pujols, just like our last guest, uh, Mike Hermosillo. But he, uh, like, he spent time around all these dudes. So he's seen it done at the highest level. And when he starts talking to you like that, it's like, hey, maybe this guy knows what he's talking about. He, yeah. You know, he's seen it. So yeah. it, my, my favorite is that he actually tells me what pitches are coming. Oh boy! I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, I was gonna say Max is about ready to hang up and go beat some ass. Oh, well, that help. I mean, that I helped explain why Nick hit like 800 off me this year. But no, <laughs> he never did that. He never did that. But just wanted to. Wanted but to- okay, so I guess we've talked about how you guys have spent the majority, like not the majority. You guys spent the entire 2020 2021 season in Quad Cities, uh, and you guys both put up ridiculous numbers all year. I mean, pretty much top of top of the league consistently throughout the year. Um, you know, we, we've talked before about like individualizing your own process and understanding that there's a reason for certain call-ups or that there's a reason for not getting called up. How do you guys continue to go about your daily business on an everyday, like literally an everyday basis and uh, keep, can, you know, continue to have the consistency in your approach without, you know, getting worried about that next call-up? How do you guys go about that? Mike, I'll let you start this one off. Because I figured this is a big topic right here. <laughs> no, I, I um, you know what? It, it to me it goes. It's the same with I, I think as a hitter, you try to stay away. And we have a really good hitting coordinator. Actually, a really good hitting department that that kind of emphasizes or emphasizes the idea of staying away from results. Mm-hmm. So you know you can line out four times, be over four. You can make four great pitches and, and give up four hits. Um, it's just, it's that over time and over that long period of, um, of time that if you just stay, like you said, with that right process and you stay with the things that, you know, work, um, you're going to get those results eventually. And so I, I think it's just honestly staying true to that. So, um, it's a lot easier said than done. It's a lot easier to say it now than when you're in the moment. But, um, again, I think it's just, if I go out there and I do what I do every single, you know, every single day every single week, every single month, every single year. Yeah. You know, I, I got, I got, uh, I got log jammed a little bit in high A, but that's, that's just part of the, it's kind of part of it. You know, we have, we have such sure. a good um, minor league system, you know, with guys like Nikki and, and, and Bobby Witt and uh, Clay Dungan. And, and there's a, a lot of guys up there that all deserve to be up there. So it's like, you know, no one ever said it was going to be easy. So I just got to keep, you know, got to keep doing your thing. And um Unfortunately, didn't didn't really get a, a break with it this year, but who knows? Maybe next year I get a break. Maybe uh, maybe I'm the guy that gets called up next year. Or maybe Nikki's the guy that gets called up next year, um, and someone else doesn't. You know, doesn't get called up. So it's just I feel like you just got to wait your turn. And um, in in a way, I almost thought it. You know, it it should be hard. Like it would have been too mm-hmm. easy last year to get called up to Double A and then you get called up to Triple A, and then you're on the verge of the big leagues. And it's like, man, I've been a pro ball for you know, minus the COVID year, a year and a half, like at that time, just a year. Like, so it's like, it, 
this isn't supposed to be easy. We're competing to, to be one of the best 750 players in the entire world. So, um, you know, in my head, I, I kind of anticipate a little bit of a, a waiting line. And um, like you said, that's, we're just kind of staying with that process is um, in baseball. I think it's just, it, you have to have it or else you're going to, you're going to drive yourself crazy. Yeah, that's a really good answer. <laughs> that was a really good answer. Man. I, well, I was say, you, you just you just answered like two or three questions that I think we had to ask in that one answer. Well, well I think it, I, I think to Mike's point, like it helps take away like, you know, you go in thinking that you're fighting within your organization. You're fighting guys within your organization for big league spots. Right. If you're looking at it very surface level, there's only 25 mm-hmm. guys or 26 guys now on the big league roster. And you got to be, you know, if I'm a pitcher, I got to be one of five starters or I got to be one of eight bullpen pieces. Um, but for these guys, they got to be one of three middle infielders or one of four. So it's really, uh, you know, cutthroat and it's easy to view it, view it as you're competing with, like you said, Bobby Witt or Nick, mm-hmm. you know, and I think, you know, your ability to look at it as an individual process, right. When you talk about doing your, your thing every day, every month, every year, um, th- that almost makes it easier to focus on or channel your competitive, like your inner competitiveness to each and every game, um, in a sport that's largely like not driven by competitiveness, right. It's a very individual game. And so that, that's really cool that you're able to do that. And that's, that's a, that was a really good answer. Yeah. That was really phenomenal. I want to go back, Nick, before you answer this question, Mike, and, and this will be for both of you. And then Nick, I want to give you a chance to answer Max's question yeah. too, but, um, you alluded to like output over outcome, mm-hmm. Mike, with your, right. Mm-hmm. And I think as kids, I mean, I don't know what it was like for you guys growing up, but for me as a kid, if I hit a bomb to the track and it was caught, you know, like I was pissed. But if I hit a, a blooper that made it over the second baseman's head, and he misplayed it and I got to second, I was fired up. Like to me, the bomb is like, that's better, right? Cause I hit it harder. I hit it further. I got more launch on it, whatever. But like, how do you, how do you, I, I'm sure you guys were the same. Like as a kid, you grew up winning was everything and losing was style didn't mean shit. How do you how do you transition and are, and are you still fighting that transition of like I need to focus more on the output versus the outcome? Yeah, no, I personally I still I fight that battle every day. Like that's I think that's the toughest battle of a professional baseball player of any professional athlete is especially at the highest level. Like I would I can't say for a fact because I've never been there, but I would imagine it's on steroids in the MLB. You know, when you got the media, you got the fans and, and all they want to do is win, win, win. So it's like, to me, it comes down to you have to have a very clear understanding of what you define as success. So like the world's going to tell you that your success, the game of baseball will tell you your success is your batting average, your OPS, your home runs, your RBIs. So if you want to go down that rabbit hole as a player, it's going to be really hard to differentiate yourself. And like I said earlier, like you're competing for there's uh, what 26 guys on each roster. So times there, there's roughly 800 guys in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my mind, you have to think a little bit different. So the rest of the, the baseball world is going to think like that. And that's going to be your success, which shows up on your baseball card on the scoreboard. Fans are going to boo you for uh, hitting 230. Like, so to me as a hitter, your, your definition of success and what you truly believe your success is, is like, you got to figure out it's different for everyone. It could be, man, how many barrels am I getting today? Um, it could be, you know, am I having a quality at bat? Like, am I competitive up there? Um, how many pitches did I see? Uh, did I stick with my game plan? Uh, did I do my, you know, my pregame routine before the game? 
Um, did I take care, you know, if I'm facing Max, like, did I just go up there and I'm like, oh, I'm going to swing if it's a strike and take if it's a ball. Well, a guy like Max is too good where he's going to make every pitch look like a strike. That's the goal of any pitcher. They're going to make it look like a strike and then it's going to be a ball if they can. And then eventually they're going to have to come to you if you're smart enough to lay off. But it's like, did I do my game plan work before the game to set myself up against a guy like Max to have success? Like, okay, uh, he's a fastball slider guy. So he's probably going to want to back foot me with that slider. How do I, as a hitter, avoid his out pitch right there? Like how do, so again, without getting into it, it's just like, for me, that's my definition of success. That's what I pride myself on is my game planning. If I feel like I'm prepared going into every at bat. So if I have 500 at bats a year, instead of taking chunks of like, Ooh, I'm over four today. If I could truly take the emotion out of it and be, O for O going in every at bat and feel prepared on, Hey, I'm facing this lefty. I think he's going to, I think he's going to try to throw me sliders. I'm going to sit slider. And I, and I truly believe in that hundred percent for that at bat that no matter what happens in that at bat, whether I get a hit strike out, hit a Homer, look like an idiot, that's success to me because I truly believe that that's a plan that over 500 at bats, if I stick with that, take emotion out, take the O for 10s, O for 15s, O for 20s, diving catches, take it all out, that will work. And you just have to believe that. Like, you have to – and that's for every hitter and every player to kind of figure out from talking to coaches, coordinators, teammates, uh, your own experience. You figure out what you want your success to look like, and then you believe in that. That takes time, right? Yeah. How how do you battle through – see, everyone gets into a rut, right? Like, in theory, what you said is great, but we all go through these, like – I'm over 10. I just booted a ball like shit, right? You get in your head. How do you, how do you personally get out of your head? Like, what are your tricks? Honestly, it, it stems a lot with, um, and I don't want to get like too deep with it, but, uh, and I know Nikki probably feels the same way, but a lot of it's like off the field with my faith. So it, it's just, you, you kind of got to understand, um, what matters and what doesn't matter. So when you're in those times where you're over 10, you're over 12, or you're struggling on the mound and it's like, you feel like the whole world's bearing down on you. And it's like, okay, well, how can I free up some pressure on me? Like this really, I'm playing a game, you know, I'm over 10, I'm over 12. Usually when I get in those ruts, I got to check my own perspective. Um, and usually at some point along the line, I can kind of find that chink in the armor to be like, I lost my perspective here when I started caring about my batting average too much or I started caring what the guy in the third row was saying, or whether the Royals were going to move me up or not. Like, and I lost sight of what I was actually out here doing. So for me, it's, it's an off the field thing where I, I kind of take care of that. Um, and I was lucky enough to have a guy like Nick and have a, you know, a couple more teammates as well that kind of pushed me in that area um, to help me get through those. Cause like you said, it is, it is way easier said than done to, um, to go and, you know, you, you talk about it now and then when you're actually in that over 10, it's tough. And I, I also think being prepared for it, um, you know, like I can tell you without hesitation this year, I don't care how good of a hitter I think I am or Nikki is or how good of a pitcher. We will all struggle at some point. I mean, Nikki and I will both go 0 for 10, 0 for 12, 0 for 15 at some point this year. Max will go through a rut where he has two or three starts where he doesn't make it out of the third inning. Like, so knowing that going in, I think that's where every year you play, you kind of get smarter and you start picking up on things like, okay, this skill would have been valuable to know last year. Then this skill would have been valuable. And you kind of can create a better game plan 
of like, hey, man, when I am in that 0 for 10 slump and I'm not thinking straight, maybe like I need to write down a process. I need to write down what I need to do every day and stick with that because I know that I'm not going to think straight when I'm 0 for 10. That's probably why I am 0 for 10 because I'm not thinking straight. So how, what's something maybe tangible that I can do to get myself back in the right direction? Love it. Nick, what about you? Yeah, just to piggyback off of Mike, I just want to say watching Michael this year and what he did, regardless of what he did on the field, could have been good or bad. Of course, it was great what he did this year. What I saw that impressed me the most was his preparation. He talks about his game playing before the games. I watched that guy go into the dugout, sit there, write in his book, journal, do the things that he needed to do to mentally prepare for that game three hours before the game even started. And not many – I've never seen that before. I mean, also, this was my first year in professional baseball, but we're all professionals and everybody has a has their own way of doing things. And the way Michael handled it this year was – Truly unbelievable, Mike. Like it was really remarkable to see. You drove me to to better prepare myself for games. I started doing what you were doing towards the middle of the season. Um, but yeah, I guess if for me, I'm more of a simplistic guy. I try to do things as simple as I possibly can. Um, so when times are, are tough, I kind of just remind myself that I got to be where my feet are. And I know that's as cliche as it gets, but reminding myself that every single day is kind of what helped me move on through those times. And I'm kind of, I like to try and be as positive as I can in times that are, are tough. Uh, the thing that really irks me the most is when people say that baseball is a game of failure, because I see that as way too I see that way too negatively like it's you're meant to fail and like yes I know that we're gonna fail but I see I see baseball more as a game of opportunity and instead 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 of saying that baseball is a game of failure saying baseball is a game of opportunity like I'm always gonna have another game to play I'm always gonna have another at bat in a game um and understanding that it really helped me out through the times that I did go over 10 or the times that I did make errors on the field. Um, little things like that kind of helped me remind myself to, like I said, be where my feet are. Um, other things I also did was I would rub my calluses on my hands when either I got into like pressured situations or wasn't feeling too great at the, at the plate or that day. I would rub my calluses on my hands to remind myself of all the work that I put in during my time in my life. I mean, we all have calluses all over our hands. I'm sure Max, you got a ton of them on your fingertips. Yeah. My, yeah. We have all over right here. I'm so moisturized I, every day, Nikki. I can't, I don't know what you're talking about, bro. <laughs> uh, that I don't do. Maybe I need to do that, but that's kind of my in game uh, scenario that I like to do. Um, just kind of just rub my calluses, but a lot of what I do is deal with like my faith and Mike talked, touched on that. Uh, that, that kind of helped me out. Not kind of, it actually helped me out a lot throughout the season. When times got tough, when thinking, should when am I going to get called up or am I ever going to get a hit again? My 0 for 15 stretch, stuff like that. 
but that kind of helped out a lot as well. And, and going back to Michael's point about the resulting part, um, baseball, a lot of people think of it like chess. It's more of baseball is more of like a game of poker where you can do everything right and still lose. And that's just the simplistic way of, of viewing the game of baseball to me is mm-hmm. just doing it like that. Uh, understanding that I'm going to do everything right. I'm going to strike out. I'm going to line out. I'm going to ground out. I'm going to break tons of bats and do all that of the, the failure part of, of baseball. And we're going to lose games and that's going to happen. I'm going to make errors. Uh, but understanding that, I prepared as well as I possibly could have in that moment allows me to be free in, in the game of baseball. So that, that's kind of more of a, a simplistic way for yeah, me to explain. Absolutely. Like Mike, um, Mike, your answer was phenomenal. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, you guys you, both were. You guys both killed that. Yeah, you guys both killed that. So I do I do want to touch on something, Nick. You brought up like just how um, how much like how much priority you placed on the positivity. And one of the things that has always stuck with me since we had that breakfast together is Mike, you talked about um, your guys' teammate early in the season, Vinny Pascantino, uh, also a friend of Bryce Wyndham. Um, and just how like, even when, even if you guys would drop a game, it would be like five minutes in the clubhouse would be like, all right, are we all over this? Are we going to just move on to the next day? Like kind of talk about the impact that, and I don't, Mike, I'm not sure if you play with him in short season, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. kind of talk about the impact he had on that team at the start of the year uh, and how you guys were kind of able to carry that forward throughout. I mean, if you want to talk about like the definition of brothers that to describe like my relationship with Vinny, it would, that would be spot on because there are so many times where you just want to, put him in a chokehold and you want to wrestle like he gets <laughs> under your skin but he does it in a way that's like i've never seen anybody be able to lead a team as powerfully as he can like he knows what buttons to push but he knows exactly when to step off him too like he's just he never he could be hitting uh he could be over 20 and he's going to go in the clubhouse and we could be on a 10 game losing streak and he's going to be like exactly what you just said like hey are we over this like and then he's going to put on have a bad day about like Jason Ross or something like that. Like, and it's, and you're just like, come on, dude. Like you can't even, you can't, as mad as you are, you could have had the worst day in your life. You just can't, like, you can't be mad. Um, and I just, I really do think there is something to that. I, I think having, um, you know, and the funny thing is it, you can't just like, it's just Vinny, you know, like right. if I tried to step up when he left, if I tried to step up or Nick tried to step up and be that guy, it just wouldn't work. Like, and that's just the power of any, like, that's just kind of, that's who he is. That's why he's so valuable to, to not only his team, but like just an organization in general, he's going to be a big leaguer for a long time. One, because he could freaking hit and he could play, but two, like that, even when he doesn't hit and doesn't play well, that trade of his alone will keep him in the big leagues for a very long time. Absolutely. Yeah. That was a, that was another thing that really stuck out or stood out to me uh, this season was like, regardless of what we did that day, it was washed immediately. We walked into that, uh, into that clubhouse. Like he would play all the sad songs you can think of (laughs) as like, it was a joke, honestly. And it honestly helped us out a lot. 
just wash what would happen and sure. start new again. And uh, it was really sad to see him leave, but we were also happy that he got the call up as well. But even while he was in double A, it's like he was still leading our team. Like he would call us every day. He would, he would talk to our coaches every day. He, he always checked in on us. And that was, that was the kind of thing that, that Vinny had is that he loved us as not only his teammates, but as just regular human beings. And he would check in on us every single day. And honestly, I think he really missed being in high A, even though he was in double A. <laughs> uh, but it was just, he was just different in that aspect. It, not many people have that gift and seeing him be able to do that so effectively uh, really helped us out. I mean, not only during the time he was there, but also when he was gone and reminded us that regardless of if we win or lose, we're going to be okay. And that's, that was the really cool part about seeing that, especially in my first year of professional baseball, which not many people get to see that. And I was really, really fortunate enough to, to get to see that and get to know Vinny and um, get to know the inside of him and, and what, makes him who he is yeah i mean it, it goes back it, mike it, go, it goes back to what you were saying though right about failure being <laughs> quote unquote failure being unavoidable right and right. knowing how to deal with that so right. for him to always have that trait and know that that's something that teams are going to go through and kind of having that experience and dealing with it and knowing how to um i guess treat the locker room that he's in right that's that's all part of it so that, that's cool that he had such a big impact on you guys I want to add one more thing on that, just from, from an individual note with uh, just to speak to his, to his power as a teammate and as a leader. I know that I feel that I was lucky enough to play with them in short season. I was lucky enough to play with them during the COVID year when we kind of did the fall ball stuff. And then this past year, um, <clears throat> and, and he's someone that you up your performance, whether you realize it or not, you up your performance. I caught myself doing this playing better because you're so afraid that he's going to get called up and that you're not, and you're going to lose <laughs> being with him. So you're sure. like, damn it, Vinny hit another homer. Like, I got to stay with this guy, man, because when he goes up, I want to go with him. Sure. I don't want, I don't want to be in high A and Vinny's in double A. And now I got to see one of the freaking best leaders that I've ever played with on a FaceTime call. You're like, man, I got to catch that guy. Like I want to be in the same yeah. club with him. And so without even realizing it, he ups everybody's performance because he's such a likable guy that you just want to like, and he plays so well that you're like, all right, boys, like we better figure it out. Cause we all want to stay with Vinny. So let's go. Like, uh, I just, I, I just, I just share that. Cause that's it personally how I feel about it. Uh, I mean, which I speaking, helped me a lot. speaking of his home runs, it, it, the, I mean, the ball he hit off of Jenny, I love Jenny, but he talked about that for weeks on end. Uh, but that ball, he hit, oh my God, was that ball matched? <laughs> He uh, swung a 35, 33 and a half to start the year. <laughs> He's catching up the 98 power sinkers. That's tight. Blows <laughs> my mind. I guess, I guess going off that though, uh, or not, I guess not really going off that, but more of an individual, individualized question. Um, Nick, you're selected in the first, uh, the first round of the 2020 draft, which was shortened to five. Um, you went to the alt site too, correct? Uh, I didn't go to the actual alt site. I went to like this mini camp after the alt site. 
I gotcha. Okay. So you go, you go to the mini camp. I'm assuming Mike, you talked about doing the football stuff with Vinny. Was that kind of the same, same so deal? It was the same mini camp. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so you guys go to this mini camp and then Nick, you go to, you go to big league camp. Um, I guess, what are your expectations going through big league camp? Uh, you know, I had a very similar question for uh, Caraway, Burl, Burl Caraway. You guys remember facing yeah. Burl? I'm sure. Oh, Mike, yeah. I'm sure. You, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, Four breaking balls, Burl. Let him know that next time you see him. Four. <laughs> so I, I had the similar question for Burl because it's kind of a hard, like, it's a hard question to ask. So I hope you guys know that I'm, I'm trying to be genuine. I'm not trying to be an yeah. asshole when I ask this, but right. You got Burl's a guy who gets picked in the second round. He goes to the outside. And then he's being talked about as a guy that can help the team in the playoffs that year. And he ends up starting in Hyatt the following year. So how, Nick, how do you manage your expectations going through big league camp? And what did that, like, how did that original Hyatt assignment sit with you? Uh, well, honestly, like the call to big league camp really surprised me. And once I got there, I was so overwhelmed with, okay. what, with everything that happened. And Honestly, I just wanted to learn as much as I possibly could, talk to all the big league guys and and go through that. And then once – honestly, I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know where I was going to start. about double A, triple A, or even big leagues. I didn't even – that was sure. – none of that was ever a thought in my head. I was kind of like, – I stuck to, to, like, my approach or being where my feet are. I wasn't – I never got too high. I never got too low. And, and I got – told I was going to high A and I saw my team that I was going to be with. <laughs> I was like, great. We're just go win a championship. My, my own, my only goal in my, my life is I just want to win. Um, yeah. And, or my, not my goal in life, my goal in baseball, uh, sure. regardless of where I go, high A, double A, low A, triple A, whatever it is, I, I want to win. And when I got told I was going to go to high A, my only goal was, to win a championship and that's that was what it was from the beginning and that's what it was at the end so it, i mean it worked that was cool yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it worked out well but yeah no i never i was never too high or too low about it um honestly just was where my feet were and just enjoyed my time got to meet really cool people yeah and, uh play with the best people i could possibly play with so well, I, like, what do you take from, right? You talk about chatting up big leaguers, meeting good people. You've got one of the better second basemen in the game in, in Whit Merrifield. I guess, is he still a second baseman or are we calling him a primary, primary outfielder now? The guy plays everywhere. Guy uh, plays everywhere, right? So what do you take from, what do you, you know, how do you chat him up? What do you take from him? And uh, yeah, I guess that's the entire question. <laughs> what, 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 do you, what are you learning from a guy like that? Well, honestly, a lot of it was, I didn't really want to get in their way uh, Whitmer. Yeah, that's a big I one. Really, I never really, yeah, I never really got to talk with him as much. The only guy that I, oh, a couple, I got to talk to a few of them. The only people that I really got to talk with was uh, Benintendi. Okay. Uh, I sat with him almost every single game. He kind of sat next to me uh, in the dugout, which is kind of sick, Andrew Benintendi. Uh, but uh, I, I got to talk to Do Dozier a lot. Um, Salvi actually came up to me the first, which was really cool. The first day that I actually showed up to big league camp, Salvi walked up to me and he even knew my name. Like I didn't have a nameplate or anything above my locker. He said, what's up, Nick? Glad you're here. Daphne me up. And I was like, what's up, Salvi? I wanted to call him <laughs> Mr. Perez. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But uh, that, I mean, my experience, I really just 
wanted to watch what they did. Sure. Um, I'm a big visual learner when it comes to that. But a lot of the questions that I ask, like Dozier and, and like Benny, is like, like how, how did they handle their like failures? How they handled their successes going through the minor leagues? Uh, stuff that I said were like, like what made like a for instance, like I, I asked like what what made y'all different than the people around? Like like we're all fighting for. A, a one small spot on a big league roster and mm-hmm. I a lot of what I asked them are like those kind of questions what I thought they did personally throughout their career that like made them different than the guy next to them stuff like that and a lot of what they said was which honestly didn't really surprise me as much was a lot of what they said was the mental side of baseball Mm-hmm. They able how they were able to handle their failures handle their successes uh big thing was like how they actually handled their successes which is really surprising to me as well uh but they said when you like when you get really really high baseball is a game that will humble you super quickly they sure. always that baseball is a game that you're either being humbled have been humbled or about to be humbled and that's yeah just how that's just how the game is and uh, that's what kind of what they they talked about a lot. But from my perspective, I was so overwhelmed. I mean, going through it, I I've never seen Andrew Benintendi in my life before, except on TV and in the show. I played with him in the show. Uh, <laughs> so I really kind of just wanted to stay out of their way, and then sure, I would show up early to see what they would do, watch how Salvi worked, watch how they hit in the cages, what their routines were, stuff like that. Uh, so it wasn't really a lot of conversing, uh, as, as supposed, but it was more of just watching how they went about their business and in that aspect. So, so I, I guess you bring up, you bring up a good segue into a question where, um, I guess this is going to be to both of you guys. Cause we talked about, you know, how you, uh, kind of work through, we've talked about those little slumps or, um, you know, the stretches of poor play, however you want to phrase it, you know, part of it, part of the game is finding a way out of those. Uh, the other part is like, you don't want to get too caught up in when things are going well, but you also want to appreciate it. So how do you guys like, like you said, stay where your feet are, but how do you still appreciate the, the stretch you're on and how do you try to build on that? Just being thankful, honestly. Uh, like I said, I talked about it a little bit. It was my faith and my journey through with my uh, religion and stuff like that was, I was just always thankful uh, every single day, no matter the outcome of what I did. But also, like like you're saying about enjoying those times when things are going super well, where you're super hot at the plate, or you're freaking striking out ten batters a game, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Uh, I think that just adds a little bit of confidence going into each day, uh, knowing that your preparation is working, um, and that you're you know that you're prepared for each day and each battle that you, you come across. But a lot of what I did was just, I was just super thankful. Uh, I tried to be as positive as I can every single day, um, taking what I did and finding the little successes, even in the times that I did go for four, like Michael said, but did I hit the ball hard? Stuff like that. Like finding the, the what you uh, define as success in, in your story and in your, your journey. So that kind of, that also is what kind of helped out a lot in uh, that aspect of not getting too high, but understanding like 
yeah, I'm seeing the ball super well right now. It just adds a little bit more confidence knowing that as well. So, I mean, that's a great answer. I'm going to pass it to you, Mike. Go ahead. Let's hear what you guys say. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with, um, <clears throat> with Nick. I mean, I, I think on my end, just my own belief is I think in order to be a professional athlete at any, you know, football, basketball, baseball, whatever, soccer, I mean, you have to be a bit delusional. I really do. Mm -hmm. I really do believe that because it's so many times where like the game is just going to beat the heck out of you. Um, and if it's not the game, like we talked about, you know, how it could be in the big leagues with the media or with the fans. Um, and so personally going back to kind of my process is part of that process is almost winning every day, but like, it's always win. It's always a win-win for me. Gotcha. Always success. Like, and again, it's it, some, again, sometimes it's easier than other days, but like, man, I go three for three. Heck yeah. I feel good. You know, if I, if I dunk three balls in and I'm three for three, I'm not going to walk home that night and be like, damn it. Like I didn't hit a ball hard tonight. I'm like, Heck no, I'm three for three. Mm -hmm. And then the night that I hit three balls hard and a guy makes three great plays on me and I'm all for three. I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to walk home that night and be like, Oh, man, I'm over three. I'm like, no, freaking killed three balls. Like, mm -hmm. I'm on fire. And so, like, I, I was talking to a um, a sports psychologist this off season, and uh, it was actually, I think back, it was during the season. I talked to this guy every week, and he was telling me something really, really cool about uh, Michael Jordan. I think it was in like maybe maybe uh, it was in like a, he went to like a Tim Grover seminar or whatever. He used to be Jordan's trainer, mm -hmm. and uh, he was telling a story about how Jordan always wanted the last shot. So whether Jordan was ice cold in that game, he wanted the last shot because he felt like he was due at the end of the game. And if he was red hot, he wanted the last shot for obvious reasons because he's like, I'm on fire today. And so he always turned that moment into like a win-win form. So to me, like I try to do that with the success in it is like, how can I turn every single day to work to where I'm almost delusional about like, dude, I don't even know that I'm eight for 10. I don't even know that I'm 0 for 10. It's just like, if I haven't had a hit in a while, like, man, I'm freaking due for one. Or if I'm on fire, it's like, let's go. Whatever you throw up there, like, I'm going to hammer. Yeah, no one can stop you. Exactly. Yeah. So I think it's just – I think it's it's almost like, again, it's delusional. It's about, like, being able to create win-win scenarios in your mind, whatever way you frame it. And then the reality is for the way you believe it to be, like, yeah, that's the way it's going to be. And so, like, again, it, it sounds a little – out there but not at all not it's funny it's yeah. funny you say that just because i i have told a large amount of people that they're every every baseball player especially minor leaguers are a little bit psychotic in their own way so like it's just a different word for it I, we're all a little bit psychotic in our own way so it, it's funny it's funny you mentioned that because that's i mean completely relatable but um oh my god chris i've completely left you out for like the last 20 minutes so <laughs> no, it's okay. I just I raise my hand. I try to. You just brush me off. Like I'm just. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, sorry. I'm kidding. I you know I I've said this before on podcasts. There's sometimes that I just I sit here and I listen, and I I almost forget that I also have a microphone because the the conversation is so good and like the stuff that our guests and, and you guys this is I'm I'm so intrigued by it. I'm I've like I've been taking notes on stuff you guys have said. So as the first listener of this show, like, this is awesome. I mean, so I'm totally cool just hanging out and sitting sidecar on this for a little bit. I do have a couple of questions. Um, so I coach kids and I, I think that there are, there are high school players and, and, and maybe even some 
you know, some college players that listen to this show um, and they want to hear, you know, you guys are successful hitters at, at your level and, and will continue to be. You guys talk a lot about preparation. Nick, you talked about, you know, you, you wanted to get there early to see how the, the professional, how the uh, professional, how the big league guys prepared, you know, in practice and before games. And, and you talked about how Mike, Mike, you, you're three hours before the game writing notes in your journal. I'd love to hear about maybe some of the, maybe not like minute by minute breakdown of how you guys prepare for a game, but like physically, what are some of the things you guys do um, to get yourselves right to actually get up there and, and, and go out in the field and field ground balls, make plays, turn double plays. And then at the same time, you know, when you're at the plate, you know, to, to hit with power. So how, how do you got, what are you guys doing to prepare yourself physically um, in practice and in preparation before games? Uh, I think the, the defensive one, Nick and I, we did, a really, I will say this, we did a very good job in all of my years of playing baseball. I've never had as good of a the pregame defensive routine as we did this year. Um, we had a our, our bench coach, Mike Jersley, would actually take us out before the game. And we did a ton of like um, short fungos without a glove on with almost like one of those like eight tech balls, almost like a tennis ball or racquetball type of where you, you he'll hit you a ground ball and you're on your knees and you're just picking it with your bare hand. So actually like what I've done in this off season, cause I liked it so much is I went and I, I literally went to Dick sporting goods and I bought all of the tennis balls I had. And I put them in like a hack attack machine. Now I'll, I'll shoot them out of a hack attack on my knees and try to pick tennis balls in my bare hand. And then I go put a glove on with a baseball and it's way easier uh, to me. Like I equate it to like, I'm a big hockey fan. So like I, uh, I watched the Blackhawks and Patrick Kane, they would always do a segment on how Kane would take a golf ball in the hallway before the game and just hit it off the blade of a stick on the wall. And so now when he gets on the ice, like that freaking puck looks like it's a mega puck. Um, and I just think you talk about guys at that, like at, at the college, I would say at the, the high level high school, the college and the professional level, the game is so fast that you need to be able to have that, like that little bit of hand eye coordination skill. Um, where you don't need a big glove on to feel the ball. Like I should be able to pick a tennis ball with my bare hand or a racquetball because the reality is if I if I go out there with my bare hand, I can't cheat. I can cheat with the glove and still do a you know incorrect form and still make a play. But you get that tennis ball in there, and if you got hard hands, like you're gonna get exposed really quick. I mean, how about it, Nick? Like when yeah. Jersh would hit that eight tech ball to us, like if you if you were a brick with your hands, that thing would go flying off your hand. Oh yeah. So it's almost like a self-correct drill. Like there's not even a lot of teaching that goes into it. It's just like, Hey dude, we're going to put tennis balls in this machine and you're going to have to feel them with your bare hand, figure it out. And if they keep popping out of your hand, like eventually you're going to figure out how to keep it in your hand without anyone having to tell you. Help, help the, the kid who's listening that doesn't understand the difference. Like what is, what does soft hands mean? How, how does, how does a guy with soft hands feel the ball? To me, I would equate. I actually, I just ran a uh, an infield camp, so I, I think I have a decent answer for this one. I was trying to explain to the kids. A lot of them would want to put their glove out super early, you know, like the ball is coming to them and it just came off the bat and their glove is already out there. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's the equivalent of like a wide receiver. You know, if a wide receiver takes off off the line of scrimmage, he doesn't run with his hands out the entire time. 
So he's running, he's running his route, and then at the last second, as the ball's about to get to him, he displays his hands and just kind of gently catches that ball. It's the same thing as an infielder. Like, that ball has hit to me. I don't want my glove out early because the longer I have my arm out, the stiffer my hand's going to be, the stiffer my forearm's going to be. So it's like I'm going to move athletically, and then I'm going to show my glove late. And it's and you can still kind of push through the ball, mm-hmm. um, but it's like a soft push. It's not like I'm just like jabbing my hand out. I'm still kind of like my dad used the term like raking through the ball. I'm still going to rake my glove through it, but it's it's in a way um, where honestly, like I said, those that tennis ball. Like if you just shoot tennis balls out of a machine, you'll figure out what soft hands is because you'll see it right away, man. If that thing, if you got hard hands, that thing is going to it is going to hit your hand and it's going to fly. Yep. So you got to figure out how to push through it and kind of have that gentleness to where you're not going to have that ball shoot out of your glove. Um, so I, I thought defensively that that really helped me this year. And then from an offensive standpoint, um, you know, I, I think every hitter is different. Um, you know, just like one, I'll give one mechanical thing and then one game plan thing and then I'll let Nicky go. But for me personally, like mechanically, my motor needs to be my legs. So if I try to manipulate the bat with my hands in my upper body, um, I feel like I'm going to be a very inconsistent hitter where if I think about swinging the bat with my strongest muscles, with my legs, my butt, my core, my hips, um, and then just kind of letting that upper body come along for the ride. That's where I feel like I get on, you know, on plane. Like people talk about launch angle all the time. To me, launch angle isn't a product of trying to hit the ball up. Launch angle is a product of, you being you swinging the bat in a correct sequence mm-hmm. and not trying to manipulate it you know so the guy's like hey swing up try to hit it up well you're just going to try to manipulate it with your hands then and you're going to clip it and you're going to top spin it or you're going to spin it the other way where if you use your lower half correctly your bat will just slot naturally if you just let your body swing the bat it'll come through on a natural arc where you don't even need to worry about hitting the ball up so i think that for me mechanically is my my favorite thing. And then from an approach standpoint, I think, <clears throat> I hope this doesn't give away too much, but it's, I mean, Max has already struck me out like seven times. So it's like, <laughs> but think about as a hitter, and this is just for a general approach for any high school or college guy, or even, even pro guy. I mean, it gets, I feel like it gets a little bit more um, dissected when a guy like, you know, you're facing a guy like Max, you got to wipe out slider and you got to, you got to take a little extra preparation for that. But um what you know, a changeup drops down, a splitter goes down, a curveball goes down, a slider goes down, uh, a two seam fastball fades down. So, all of these pitches fade down. So, for me as a hitter, like the pitcher's trying to get me out down. So, as a hitter, I want to raise my zone. I don't want to, I, and I'll give him the bottom half of that zone. You know, like if I split the zone into thirds. I don't, I said it earlier in the podcast, like a pitcher's goal is he wants to make a pitch look like a strike and then have it be a ball. So all, a lot of pitchers will do is they'll start to change up down. Max is really good at this. He starts to change up down at your kneecaps. Back half looks of the year. like a strike out of the hand. And then as you begin your swing, it fades down into the dirt. You strike out, you swing on the top of it. So the hitter, if you can avoid even the urge to go after that pitch because you're setting your sights maybe a little bit higher. I think that's just, again, just a standard, it gets more in depth. Again, when you got guys like Max throwing, but 
just a general approach in high school. Like if a guy's going to throw a really good 12-6 breaking ball in high school and he's going to dirt ball that and he's going to pair that with maybe a fastball at the top of the zone, you got to pick your poison. So it's like, do I want to get caught swinging at a ball in the dirt? Or would I rather say, you know what, dude, I'm going to give you everything below my waist. If you throw a fastball below my waist, you win. If you could spot it there three times, congratulations. But if you can't, I'm going to sit on the one above your waist because if you throw a breaking ball that starts at my at my thigh and it's a good one, it's going to be a ball. And I'm not even going to be tempted to swing at it because I was never sitting there. I was sitting higher than that. So like an, an easy way to put it is like the, the height at which I look for the fastball protects me against you know, a pitcher's off speed. So if I look for a fastball at my mid thigh, I'm not protected against 12-6 breaking ball. I'm still very vulnerable to that pitch because they look the same coming out. So I'm going to make that initial break at either one. But if I say I'm going to look for a fastball above my waist, the fastball above my waist is going to be a strike. And if he starts a breaking ball above my waist, that's the hanger that I want to hit. So now I've kind of protected myself against both of those, um, which to me, talking about power, that allows you to ambush because then you could sit on your fastball because you don't got to worry about the off-speed stuff because if he hangs it, you're going to kill it. But I can stay on that fastball. And and if he throws a, a pitch below that, I'm not even tempted at it anyway, even if it is a fastball. So I don't got to worry about swinging at a pitch in the dirt. Now, again, it, it doesn't happen every time. I still swing at plenty of pitches in the dirt. But, like, I think that's an in- – I, I, I had someone tell me that. I thought it was a very interesting – Mm-hmm. concept because you look at uh, you watch espn and you see like they used to do a, a going going gone segment where it yeah. used to be you know that all the highlights of the home runs from the day and you if you go back and you look at those segments and you look at where all those balls are at max i even think you you made fun of yourself on uh twitter earlier in the year you made a video of all the guys that hit home runs off you yeah nick and was I on there twice you, if you go back <laughs> and you look at if you go back and you look at where all those pitches are at I bet you there's not a lot of them that are below the kneecap but are yeah. below the mid thigh. I bet you at a least, lot of at least starting there. Right. Yeah. Right. So as a hitter, you're like mid thigh and up, man, that's where I'm going to do my, that's where I'm going to get my power from. So I think I would, I would argue that power is, is almost as much of an approach and knowing what to look for as it is. Yeah. It's a byproduct yeah. of the approach. Yeah. Yeah. That's wow. Look, you, that's, if you go back, if you go back and watch, well, Max's home run video or just Montage. a highlight of home runs. It, it, it looks like the, the batter was just sitting on that pitch, right? Like they were prepared for it. Yep. I'll tell you, as you're, as you're saying that 16 year old me would have just, I would have recorded this and listened to it over and over hearing about that approach. Like, uh, yeah, I, I hope that the kids, the, the younger kids that are listening to this are paying attention and thinking about that because I know, I don't know what you guys were like. Well, you guys are in, in playing professional baseball. So your high school baseball experience is probably a little bit different than mine. Um, but I didn't have an approach. I didn't even like that was never something that a coach ever even talked about. It was like, go up there and get a hit, kid. Mm-hmm. And if it looked good, I swung. And if it looked good and it ended up in the dirt, I still swung. Mm-hmm. I struck out a lot. <laughs> I swung at a well, lot of and, dumb shit. And that's where, like, I think you, as a kid, you know, I always, I never, really vibed with the coaches who were like, Hey, don't think up there, just hit. Well, to me, if I can think about one or two things, it keeps me from thinking about everything. Where if I can't 100%. think, if, if I got, if I'm going up there with a clear head, I'm thinking everything. I'm thinking, what's he going to throw? Is this ball going to be in the strike zone? Is it going to be a fastball? Is it a breaking ball? What's the person in the third row saying? What does my coach think? Like 
where if I go up there with like, hey, ball above my waist, lower half, ball above my waist, lower half, and I'll say it to myself as I'm hitting. And I don't even like, honestly, as I, as I say this, like I could tell the pitcher what I'm looking for with that approach because the reality is Max knows to not leave the ball up. Yeah. This isn't anything new to him. Like this isn't anything new to any pitcher. Like I could go on the mic and go on live television and say, hey, guys, this is what I'm looking for. It's just a battle of execution. It's a battle of who can stick with their game plan better than the other guy. Can Max locate three balls down in the zone better than I can lay off of those three balls and hopefully attack something above, you know, a little more up. I mean, that's that's not like anything groundbreaking, I feel. I don't know what you think, Max or Nick. I, I don't think no. there's anything. I, I mean, I'm just thinking like in my last few starts, I mean, take away my last start just because, I mean, that was game 138 or whatever we were playing, 118. But um, like I'm just thinking like my last three starts prior to that uh, one bad one at the end, like the the evolution of the changeup throughout the summer, I think that played a big role. Like you're talking about the, I think that played a big role in like the success in those outings relative to my first one. So it like, I, I don't know. It, it may, it helped me feel more confident in that batch, especially against you and Nick. And Nick was a recipient of my first right on right change up the summer, but like it was. It me it, <laughs> oh, dude. Funny. Yeah. No, but like that, I think that, I think that pitch helped a lot. Like that just to the point that you were saying, but that's, Wow, that is a really good answer. And if you if you throw a good changeup, I ain't gonna hit it. So yeah. for me as like a, as a hitter, like you always hear these people talk about, um, and I'll say this because we're not gonna be in the same league next year um, unless unless you get called to the show and I get there somehow. But uh, no, <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> you know, at that point, Max, we won't really care because we're gonna be going out to dinner. So it, it yeah, doesn't even matter. Don't matter. Um, might might be playing them in AAA, man. Do play <laughs> true, true, true. Wait, wait, wait. You guys, wait. I thought, hold on, hold on. Your double A affiliate, I thought, was in Northwest Arkansas. Is that not in the Tennessee Smokies yeah. League? No. Really? Okay. It, All right. I, I, I don't um, even know. I feel like that's crazy. But, but yeah, go for it. I'll do this for the, the kids listening to it. But yeah. Um, I'm trying to help them. I'll, I'll figure out my own approach. For it. I'll be <laughs> um, but like a guy who's got a really good fastball changeup. So as a left handed hitter on a righty, who's got a really good change up and a good fastball. My whole life I've been taught, hey, man, go to left center. Go to left center. So, you know, if he throws that fastball, you're on time with it. If he throws that change up, you're still waiting back on it. And the reality is all that does is I just set myself up by picking my sight as left center. Now I'm going to get jammed by your fastball. You'll yep. be late on it. And now I'm, I'm going to cap your change up where I'm still going to swing through it because the reality is nobody hits a good change up. So now really what I just did is I made myself dangerous for absolutely nothing. You yeah. can throw you can throw either one of those pitches now and I'm going to be out. As opposed right. to saying and a game plan might be like, you know what, dude, throw your change up and beat me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to sit dead red on your fastball and you better not throw it over the plate. And if I think I, I tried to do that. I think I tried to do that one time and you spoiled the second one, but that's fine. But anyway, continue. I'm sorry. If, I'm sorry. if I swing through three changeups and you can execute three really, really good changeups, which as a pitcher, I have a feeling is not easy to do. Nope. I can't speak from experience, but I have a feeling that's a really difficult thing to do. I'm going to make you do that. Mm. And the odds are, and I'm going to protect myself against it. I'm not going to sit for the fastball down because that changeup is going to play off of that. I'm going to let you try to throw your changeup down, fall behind two and oh, and now I'm going to sit on your fastball. And I'm not going to go in between on it. So like, you see how like right there, like I just made myself a little bit more dangerous of a hitter by just picking one. 
all yeah. I did was so like, do you see now my power is different? My power output is going to be different than right. I have no power, no matter how good my mechanics are. If I'm going to sit left center and say, I'm going to protect against the fastball and the changeup, you can't. Yeah. You're guessing a true false question. You're guessing true every time you're exactly. going to get some of them, right. Instead of trying right. to alternate. Exactly. So now I'm going to, now I may have a chance to pop 10 home runs a year or 15 home runs a year. If I just you sit, did. Yeah. if I just sit, <laughs> but that's to me, like that's where the power comes from more. So yes. than like, I mean, you got to have the natural fundamentals of a swing, but sure. Me and Nick swing completely different and Nick can hit a ball. Yeah, you're left-handed Mike. Yeah, exactly. But, <laughs> like the, but if our approach is the same, like we, we could, we're going to have the same power output. Yeah. No, that's uh, for the kids listening real quick. For the defensive part of what Mike said, they better listen to it because Mike's a gold glover. So <laughs> the reason why that, that stuff works, man. And uh, no, that is, well, it was all well said, Mike. I mean, honestly, a lot of what uh, – I mean, we both did the same defensive drills, uh, except when I DH'd, I didn't do the the, the defensive drills. But, uh, yeah, and as far as, like, the hitting portion of it, a lot of what Mike does, I mean, we're pretty much similar in that aspect. A lot of what helped me out this year was understanding the zone in which I do damage in and really sticking to that zone and understanding that I can't miss that zone when a pitch is being thrown in that, that part. Uh, so that's, that goes to setting my sights up more than, more than anything. Uh, but a lot of what was new to me was the scouting reports. So uh, for me, it was doing studying that and understanding what worked for me, what didn't work for me, what did I want to see? What was too much for me to see? Mm. Uh, so understanding that was uh, a big part of what helped me out this year uh, was doing a lot of studying on pitchers, uh, understanding what their best pitch was, where they like to throw it, certain zones, stuff like that. Um, that kind of helped out a lot. Uh, but then as far as the approach goes, me and Mike were pretty, pretty similar in that something aspect. That, I don't want to interrupt the guy that you're going to say, but like just something Nick said too, with like picking a pitch, like it doesn't always have to be a fastball. Right. No. I think sometimes like younger kids kind of get in this like, hey, I got to sit on the fastball. Not always. Like if yeah. I get a guy who I'm like, I feel pretty confident, like this guy's going to throw me a breaking ball. Like like if I'm a left-handed hitter, realistically, if I'm a left-handed hitter and it's the eighth inning and you guys bring in uh, well, somebody other than Caraway, no, no, no. <laughs> but if you bring in a, a, say you bring in a standard lefty who's like 93, 92, 93, good slider. Yep. Runner in scoring position. Do do as a left on left hitter. Do I not think that I'm going to get a slider? Right. Why else would they have brought this guy in the game? Yeah. Because if they wanted to throw me a straight pitch, they would have just thrown. Me, they would have just kept the righty in the game. Because I right. could hit a left handed fastball. The, the the advantage isn't a left handed fastball versus a right handed fastball. The advantage is the off speed pitch. Yep. So why wouldn't I sit? Why wouldn't I sit slider? I mean, it's similar. We were talking about, we were talking about, and that, I mean, that's, that's a great point you just make. And I can think of the lefty that you're talking about because you saw him the first week of the season, but um, like it, we talked about before, before we started recording, we were talking about uh, Cedar Rapids, right. And that's a twin, that's a twins affiliate. And they, they throw the fastball at the lowest clip in baseball. That's a very, that's a publicly known thing. 
like that's something that you take into that series where you know you're going to be getting a crap ton of curveballs or a ton of sliders that day or whatever it may be. So that's I mean, that's an interesting point you bring up. Yeah, it's just that's that that's that pregame stuff that we that Nikki and I would always do is like, let's pick a pitch, man. Like this guy's yeah, going to throw I mean, this thing fifty two percent of the time. Let's sit on it. If he's so, going to throw this, if he's going to throw this pitch eleven percent of the time. Right. Like, I don't care if you throw it. If you get me out one out of 10 times with that pitch, congratulations. Like, I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah, 11% change-ups. Yeah. Yeah, you I know. That, I mean, that kind of – it kind of – it came I along throughout the years. that. <laughs> but, okay, so – I eliminated <laughs> – oh, gosh. Dude, I got to get Go you out on. once, all right? You got you to give me – you got to cut me a break a little bit. Oh, you uh, got me, man. <laughs> you also broke my – you also broke my back because of it. Gosh. You're gonna get a lot more of them, dude. Uh, <laughs> I, dude. The amount of bats I broke this year was ridiculous. Not the Homer Woods. No, oh Homer man, man. stay hot. So nice, <laughs> Nick. And, and Nick, you brought up like you brought up having um, access to too much data. And I'm a very like if you you guys know me decently well, but I'm a very data driven guy. Like that's kind of how I got to where I'm at right now, and just. I guess, trusting the numbers and the unbiased that they provide. But when did you, Nick, Nick, and maybe even Mike too, you probably have experience in this too, but where did you feel like you had too, uh, where you were investing too much time into the data? When did, when did that occur to you? Uh, spring training, that kind of the minor league spring training. Uh, okay. I, they would throw us a lot of information and they, they tell us like you're either going to be an A bucket, B bucket, or C bucket, and that just that just depends on like how much information you want. Uh, so coming from college, where we had scouting reports, but it wasn't like in depth like it is now. Like sure, spin rates, uh, location, where does he like to throw it in certain counts, stuff like that. It was never that much in depth, but I realized I was looking too much into it when like middle of spring training. Uh, I mean, of course, we were playing the same, like, three teams, Texas. I don't even remember their uh, – Seattle. Um, yeah. All those teams. So, it's like I already knew what these pitchers had, and, like, we faced them so many times already during spring training that I was kind of just putting too much stuff into my head that I was thinking about. And, like, it goes to, like, what Mike was saying. Like, if I went up there with – like clear mind, I started thinking about everything and that never helped out. But if I also go up there thinking, Oh, what is he throwing in a one, one count or Oh, Oh count or the percentages of him throwing fastball in this count, or where does he like to throw the fastball? It started getting me to think more about those instead of actually thinking about what actually got me to where I am today, which was a guy who didn't really look into a lot of the information, uh, started digesting a little bit more now than I did in college, but like now I was more of like the A bucket guy. I didn't really mm -hmm. need a lot of information going up to the plate, which helped me succeed. And I needed to understand that, but I also needed to learn that through trial and error, trying to see if shoot, I could be a C bucket guy or something like that or understanding that. And, uh, but yeah, spring training was kind of when I figured that one, that one out a little bit. And then throughout the season, um, I wanted to just 
stick to it. I didn't want to change too much, think about too much. Uh, I just wanted to trust my process, trust my plan. Uh, and like I said, it's a game of poker. You're going to do everything right and still fail. And uh, I need to understand that going throughout the season. Helped out a lot, though, understanding that, that I'm going to fail even whenever I prepare it as best as I could have. So it's well said. I am like the exact, almost the exact opposite of Nikki in that sense, where <laughs> I'm more like, I'm, I'm like you at the like Max, where I want that information. Like I want, yep. for two reasons, I want that information one. Because I want to be able to put my head on the pillow at night and be like, man, I knew everything, everything. about this freaking guy. I knew everything. And if mm -hmm. it didn't work out, it's not like I could have went back and been like, man, I wish I knew he threw this and this counter. Like, So one, for me, that helps me sleep a little bit better at night. And two, I want it because I want to put a little bit of fear in the pitcher. Like, I want you to think twice about what I'm sitting on. I want sure. you to know that I'm so invested in what you what you do in your scouting report that when you're an O2 count and you think you got the best pitch, I want you to think twice in your head like shit, like this is on the report, man. Like this guy might I know I know this guy does his homework. Like and it I think it just puts a little bit of fear in that guy. Like, all right, yeah, you think you got the right pitch? You better hope I'm not guessing right. Cause if I'm guessing right, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. So for me, like I like to have a little bit of that. Um, not again, not that they necessarily know, but I, like, when I play you, I know, I know you look at this kind of report on me. Yeah. I know that's a thing. You know, like if I'm facing a guy, um, I'm trying to think of somebody on your team. About like, uh, one of the guys I brought up a few times is, uh, Nunez. Jensen or Nunez. Oh. Yeah. I, how does, does Jensen get into it? Uh, no, actually, he was quoted in an interview this year saying he's not a Rap Soto guy. So that's so I would, I would, I would 100% bet that because based on what I saw, and he's an unbelievable pitcher. Like, yes. and that's, and that's where, like, I think with this, like, ABC bucket, like Nikki was talking about, it's not that one bucket is better than the other one. It's just your right. fingerprint, it's just who yeah. you are. And so, like, for me, the vibe that I get from Jensen is Jensen is so nasty and he knows it that he does not give a shit. What is my strength? He doesn't care. He's just like, I'm so freaking good. I'm going to throw you 98 mile hour power sinkers and I'm going to back foot slaughter you and you can know what's coming and I'm going to beat you. Mm -hmm. That was the vibe I got from him. So I don't know. I mean, the, I didn't, I did not get the sense that he was going to analyze me from head to toe on what my strength was. So I think you kind of get a sense of the guys you're playing against. Like, okay. Like this guy, this guy looks like a dude, you know what, that he might've, he did his homework on me. And, and I, I want guys to know that because I want, that pitcher to think twice about whether he's got the right pitch or not. Do you think, can you, can you think back to a time this year where maybe you were sitting on a pitch and you felt like you had made the pitcher second guess and you got the pitch that you were looking for in that count? Like, yes. is there a time that like sticks out in your head? There was a, um, it was a game. <laughs> you know what? I, there's one that I remember there and it worked out for me. There's also plenty of times that I'm sure I don't remember where yeah. I thought I had the right pitch and that guy beat me and struck me out. And I was probably stuck looking at like a heater down the middle. And I'm like, shit. Um, sure. But there was one time in particular where I remember it and it was in Peoria. They brought in a lefty out of the bullpen and okay. uh, it was bases oh. loaded. Okay. He was like, yep. he threw like 70% breaking balls. Yes. I, I, like, I kind of went to the, yeah. 
he also threw like 95. So it was like, yes. Yep. Shit. You're like, so I was in a three, two count, two outs, bases loaded. And I was like 70% breaking ball. Like, I'm like, you know what? This guy probably thinks I'm sitting here. He definitely thinks three, two count bases loaded. He thinks I'm going to freaking groove when I got to come after him. So in my head, I was like, you know what? If this guy strikes me out on a fastball right down the middle, I can live with it because the scouting report says he throws 71% mm-hmm. like curveballs. So I'm just going to sit on it. I'm going to take, I'm going to take a gamble. Like Nick was saying, I'm going to play my poker hand. I don't know what the flop's going to be, but I'm going to play it because I got a good hand. I know that seven out of 10 pitches that this guy throws, it's going to be a curveball. So I'm just going to, yeah. I'm going to take, I'm going to play the odds. And I played the odds and he hung me a three, two breaking ball that I had a home run on. And I was just <laughs> like, as soon as it popped out of his hand, I'm like, here we go. But again, yeah. there, there's been plenty of times I'm sure where it's worked the other way. But as a hitter, we have a little bit more room for error in the sense of like, I can screw that decision up seven times. Right. As, as I get it three times. Or, you know, I'm going to hit 300 or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to barrel up four balls. It's like, I don't have to be. And I think that's where you got to understand as a hitter, like you can talk about handling failure and you know, like, and I, I stink at that at times, like handling failure. But it, to me, it's like, you need to understand that you don't need to be perfect every time. I can mess that decision up because I will at times, but I need to not question it when I decide to make that decision. So for me, going back to what we're talking about success, it's fully being convicted to my decision. Sure. Yep. So like fully being convicted, three, two, breaking ball. I stepped out of the box. I thought this through. I had evidence for it and I did it. And if he throws a fastball and I'm caught looking at it, so be it. I can live with that. Like to me, that's not unsuccessful or failure. That's just, that's the game getting you. And, it gets and that's everybody. What, yeah. And that's what, like you talked about earlier, like removing emotion and whatnot. And I, I take so much pride, like, I see managers and coaches who are really good at that. And I respect the heck out of it. I was first exposed to that in college and we won a lot of games and I kind of saw its importance, but like, that's, that's removing emotion out of it because you don't get caught up in the speed of the game. You don't get caught up in the, you you don't get caught up in all that stuff. You stick to your process. You individualize the pitch, you make your decision and you go right. And you have the numbers to back it up. It's, you know, it's it that process works over time it's why teams it like in the grand scheme it's why teams like the rays are successful right they rely on the numbers all the time they're going to work at that rate right over time that's going to that's going to prevail over rolling with the rolling with the flow of the game 100 percent of the time so that's cool that you bring that up and it's so um i guess it's such a minor detail that people on the surface level are going to look past so that's that's really cool that you take so much pride in that i hope for the people listening that like if they're sitting in the stands, right. Then they're like, okay. Uh, like they're just going through that process in their head or, you know, even putting a little bit of thought into it. That's cool. You know, when you get it a lot, Max is I'll even get it at home. Like I'll watch a game with, um, and my dad is super knowledgeable, played in college, super yeah. good player. Um, but sometimes we'll even be watching a game and like someone will take a fastball right down the middle with two strikes. And they like, what? swing the bat. Like, how do you get caught? And it's like, yeah. I think sometimes people forget, like, he's playing the odds, man. Like, if I'm facing you, I cannot cover everything. You throw right. 97 with a really good slider and a really good changeup. Like, I I can't cover 17 inches of the play. I just can't do it. Right. So I need to give something to get something. It goes back to that fastball changeup thing. Like, if I'm trying to cover everything against you, I am no danger at all to you. Right. Where if I say, if I pick one thing, 
yeah, I'm going to give something up, but there's a little bit more danger for you now because it's like, if you throw what I'm sitting, you know, if I, if you throw what I'm sitting on, I'm ready for that. That's like, right. now that's like, that's like in the off season hitting the hack attack, like you're sitting on it. But if I'm sitting fastball slider, breaking ball, uh, change up all 17 inches of the plate, it's just going to be a reaction. Like the guy, the game's too fast to be able to do any, you know, again, maybe a guy like Vinny could probably do that because he's just that freaking good. <laughs> Quick story on him. I, I It was actually in South Bend. One of your guys came in and was throwing like 100, and I'm sitting next to him. Like, I'm like, yo, what do you, uh, what's your approach here? And he's like, well, if he throws a fastball, I'm just going to hit it to left center. If he throws a slider, I'm going to hit it to right center. I'm like, no, like, seriously, what's your approach? He's like, yeah, it's my approach. I'm like, and, and the funny thing is, he's so, he's good enough to like, he could do that. He could literally sit and yeah. just react to 100. And be like, oh, that's a slider. It's just, it's it was, it's, uh, it was definitely like I'm thinking back to our opening day of roster, and it was 100% Yuri Ramos. It, yeah, it very well might have been 100%. Right, he's mm-hmm. coming out of the put and pen late innings. That's that's cool though, man, because he's got good stuff, and it comes from mm-hmm. a different angle with him being like six foot eight. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to jump. I want to jump in, Mike. I want to go. Actually, I want to ask a couple questions. Two questions about that Peoria, and then another question for both for both mm-hmm. you and Nick. So you talked about that Peoria, Peoria at bat where you, you knew 71% chance he was going to throw a curveball. And so this is something I want you – and, Nick, you might have to answer this too. Yeah. This is really important. Two pieces. After you hit it, how far did you throw the bat towards their dugout? And how far down the first baseline did you get before you started jogging? I, um, I dropped my bat immediately and i sprinted out of the box like it was going to hit the left right center field wall <laughs> oh come on man yes, nick, what happened mike, nick mike you hit that ball to the freaking moon dude <laughs> it, I, um, it went into the street you didn't pimp it he did drop it he's not lying about that one okay uh, but he took his little jog he took a little jog slow jog super slow i am not a um i'm not a pimper because i it's not that i don't want to be it's because that I just, for I haven't hit enough home runs in my life to know yeah, when they're gone. Like I hit it and I think every single one, I'm like, well, remember that one time that you really got it and it like two hopped the right center field wall. So like every, in, so like eventually halfway down the line, I could be like, oh, okay, okay. That one's gone. Like I got it. But until I get down that line, it's like, trust me, if I could sit there and stand and watch them, I would, but yes, exactly. I just, I don't really know how to do that yet. i'm telling you someday but that one time that i did hit it that was the only time i ever knew that i got it ever in my life so that's why okay see that see we i just never knew i never know i always sprint out of the box and don't i don't hit homer so so here's here's the next question and and mike this this probably doesn't apply to you a whole lot you guys had if i if i saw this correctly you guys have that ferris wheel in left field right so for the right-handed batters, did you guys ever hit that in a game? I mean, that seemed know, like an absolute I know of bomb. one guy who had to have hit it during the game, but I'm going to let them answer first. I know of one guy that absolutely had to have hit it during the game. I think it was Suli. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he didn't hit it, but I think he went right through the damn thing. Oh, geez. Um, it would have hit it. Yeah, it would have. It would have hit it. Uh did they call it foul or was it fair? Did he still call it fair? It was, it was fair. They called that one fair. They called that one fair because he almost had a walk off the night before down the other line. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Suli, Suli hit. And it was still going up as it crossed the fence. It never was coming down. It was still going up. Um, yeah. And I'm sure. <laughs> how hard he hit that? Might he hit 115 or something like that? It, I mean, it wouldn't shock oh. me. That, yeah. I mean, because we have we have the rap soda in the dugout, so we like see what how hard we hit it and stuff like that. Uh, or TrackMan, not rap soda. Our our track man picked that up at like 485, I think. 485 uh distance. Oh my and that's without the, <laughs> without the win too. Yeah, Do you guys remember the one game? Do you guys remember the one game at home uh in Quad Cities where Max, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I Nikki, you might. Your hitting coach and our hitting coach were going back and forth on the track man, comparing notes on whether it was a strike or not because the umpires were so bad. Oh, like it was, was like, it? It was like comical. Like you guys would get a pitch, and like we'd look over to your dugout, and your coach would be like, like four balls off, and yeah. the guy like called it a strike, <laughs> or like you guys, we'd get it would be called a ball, and then like your coach would look over and be on our track man and be like, no, that was like right down the middle in the strike zone. Yep. And it was just for like three innings. It was like every pitch, everyone would just like look over and see if it was the funniest thing ever. Yes. Yeah. I, don't, I had to bring that up just because you brought up the track. Yes, test, so. <laughs> yes, it's so much fun having that in the dugout, though. Oh, it's incredible. It is. For the people listening, it's incredible. It's it's one hundred percent legal. I know having uh, technology in the dugout is a sensitive topic, as of like three years ago. So, um, what <laughs> that's done by most, both I want to say most minor league teams probably do that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Say, other yeah. than um, I, I think the stadium had something to do with it, and I can. Like, I know, like, we didn't get it in Beloit or uh, Fort Wayne, if you guys went there. No, uh, we didn't. But, there, were, yeah, there were some stadiums where it wasn't available. And it honestly was a difference. That's where I realized yes. how valuable technology is. Like, when I couldn't get the guys, uh, like, in-game vert, it, kind of, it, it threw me off a little bit. I was like, dang. Like, I just got so used to it, I think, where I was like, it was nice to have. And now you don't necessarily, like, you're sitting there, you're like, oh, was that a slider or was that a curveball? Like, is he going to back foot me with this or is he going to try to spike it in the dirt? Like I can't, it was just hard to tell from the angle until you got in there. So yeah. like you really realize how nice it was to be able to see like the shape of the pitch in the dugout. And then you can kind of reference your game plan around that a little bit, which was nice. And, I mean, you typically don't know until you go there for the first time. Like I know yeah. when we went to Fort Wayne for the first time, um, they had, they were, I think they were the only team, maybe Beloit has it in their new stadium, but they were one of the only teams uh, to have Hawkeye, right? So we didn't get any of that data because that's a competitive advantage for them. Or, you know, you'd have some teams that don't share their data, even if it is TrackMan, they don't share it until the end of the week. So, right. like, it's one thing you don't know until you go there for the first time. Uh, but then, like you said, you kind of game plan around it once you know. Yeah. Chris, you got anything? I mean, we, we've we been rocking this thing for, like, an hour an and a half, hour, hour yeah. and 40 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I mean – I could sit and go on forever and ask you guys questions about college and the draft, but I mean, we've covered so much, so many topics and we've gone through so much. Um, I almost feel like maybe we need to like save this and, and pit stop and do like a 2.0 at some point down the road. Hey, yeah. Anytime, anytime to talk baseball, man. I'm all for I, that. I, uh, you know, Chris, you talk about uh, like getting caught up in listening and I just got the thought like 45 minutes in just hearing these two dudes talk. I was like, we got two big leaguers on the pod, man. We got two freaking big leaguers on the pod right now. And that, that to me is a quote. Hey, they're both on the left side. They're both on the left side. <laughs> um, 
Two big leaders. Oh, oh, come on. Come on. Um, I can't thank you guys enough for taking the time to be here tonight. I appreciate that. And, uh, I mean, getting to know you guys has been awesome. And, you know, I hope that this is an example to everybody listening that, like, the camaraderie within the game, like the community of the game, this is this is a really cool opportunity and this is a really cool thing that we've done here. So um, thank you guys for your time tonight. I've really loved having you on. And, yeah, man, just just thank you guys. I, I look forward to, you know, sharing fields with you guys in the future. Yeah, no, that was awesome. We appreciate it, Max, Chris. It was uh, it was awesome. Anytime to talk baseball, I'm all for it. Um, Absolutely. I'm sure, I'm sure we'll see you uh, on the field here soon. So make Triple sure. A, you, baby. I, hope you, I hope you've been writing notes. Everything that Michael said. Don't <laughs> no, no worry. I'm gonna change it all by the spring trade. I I got multiple <laughs> up here, man. I can. Yeah, Michael. I can keep clear on them out. No, I I appreciate you guys having us on. It was uh. Speaking of, again, just, I mean, the time, I didn't even realize it was an hour and 45 minutes, but Same. Uh, I just had so much fun talking with you guys. And, and, uh, I mean, again, to see you guys again, man, I miss, I miss being in the dugout. I miss playing guys. I miss kind of just like that camaraderie on the field, whether your teammates or not, just, just being out there and, uh, and kind of knowing you're going through the same grind with everybody. So, um, looking forward to getting going again, man. We're like a month out. I can taste it already, you know, start yep. to hit again. Warm weather coming, so I'm uh, yep. I'm excited. I I appreciate you guys having us on. It was a good time. I'll close with this, and, and this is for people listening, uh, Royals fans, anyone. So I before I jumped on with Max and, and Brian, who's not not recording with us today, but um, I had my I had my own podcast, the Turn a Pair Baseball Podcast, and I I did about 125 episodes and interviewed you know big league and, and minor league players, and I interviewed a number a number of players in the Royals organization, uh, Tyler Zuber, uh, Noah Murdoch, um, um, Nick Heath, who's no longer with the Royals, but was at the time and a couple other guys. And, and I, there's a common theme, just really thoughtful, genuine guys, mm -hmm. down to earth guys. Um, the Royals definitely have a type and, and I, I mean that in like the, the best way possible. So, um, thank you guys for coming on. You guys are great. You're class act. I think the people listening to this episode will take one they'll be entertained by it but i also think that there's a lot to learn from what you guys said and um again going back to what i said earlier like listening to the three of you guys talk baseball as a fan man i was nerding out so thank you guys for joining the show and i wish you guys the best of luck and the best of health and um man i can't wait uh to to follow you guys next season appreciate it chris thank you very much thank you all right, thanks guys. We'll uh we'll talk soon. All right, I'll uh I'll let you guys out. All right, man. Yeah, sounds yeah, good. Guys. Sound good. All right, yeah. Have a good night. See y'all. See you guys. Appreciate you guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.